Welcome to the After the Battle Campfire, presented by the Modern Ronin. I'm your host, Tommy Chase, and I'll be your guide through the stories that are about to be told. On today's show, I have Joe Palacios. He served with me at a 4th LAR. We lost communications after I deployed to Iraq in 2007. Ironically, a friend of ours brought us back together on a business adventure, and it's been an adventure to say the least. So join me with catching up with my good friend, Joe Palacios. Yeah, so I saw these. Sweet. All right. So we're going to start. Right. Hi. Welcome. I have not seen you. In, well, actually, I think I've seen you. Well, I've seen you on our business live streams. I don't, yeah, I don't know that I have videos. the video on myself. Yeah. But I haven't seen you in person in, I was just thinking about it, like 13 years. 2007 wow. is when I left the unit to go deploy. Yeah. Um, I left, uh, and, and I actually, I left there the year before you. Where did you, you did you deploy or did I, you? Uh, actually, from there, yes, I actually deployed, well, I deployed again to South America. Oh, okay. And then, uh, then came back and then I didn't deploy again after that. I okay. So. Well, Welcome, Joe. Joe Palacios. Um, Thank you. I don't know what you got out as, so I can't call. I don't know if, if it's sergeant, staff sergeant. What did you staff sergeant? Or get out? I, I got out. I got out as a staff sergeant. Did you retire yeah. or? Yes. Well, okay. we'll get to there. It's a long story, but yes, I All did right. retire. So. Well, I've known Joe for a little bit because we only knew each other for a very short period of time when we were both at Fourth LAR together, uh, two thousand five. I think is when I checked in mm -hmm. and then and I the, left in 2000, April, May, 2007. Yeah. So we were 2005 to like 2006 and a half, maybe seven. Cause I, I left just before you did. I went over to, uh, actually I went over to SOI. Oh, okay. What I did. Yeah. Okay. So here we go, man. Um, Joe is <laughs> a Marine. You were a uh, 0311. 0311, 0369, yeah. Uh, infantryman. And no grunt from the. I was always. I always that's what I, no, uh, well, I think I had some pogue ish tendencies, but no, I, I loved being a grunt, man. <laughs> that's, that's the best part about it. Um, so let's start with the basics. Let's go back in time to when Joe was little baby Joe. Where did oh, you come okay. from? Ah, well, I was, uh, I was born, I was actually born in uh, Houston, Texas. And I grew up on the Southeast side of Houston. The, if you're familiar with the area that, uh, in that part of Houston, it, everybody would know it as like Magnolia Park, but it's basically the Southeast. It's the farthest Southeast of Houston you can go before you start getting into like Pasadena and some other further South. Okay, so you come, you, you're a Texas native then? Yes, I am. I am actually. So you were born in that area. How long did, did you live there your entire life? Actually, you know, it's funny. Uh, uh, I think I've moved around quite a bit. I, most of my life was here growing up, but I did move around quite a bit. Uh, lived up in Fort Worth area as a young kid for a little while. Uh, then uh, actually went to high school in Pueblo, Colorado, 
and that's when I joined the Marines. And then from there, yeah. So, so what was uh, Colorado life like? Like, it was it was like a shock. It was like a culture shock. But I think it was a it, it, it was a preparation for the next culture shock after that. But it was different. Like I went from like a city of, and I was in the inner city, like like literally in the inner city, right? I mean, I, it was funny. I keep telling my I tell my wife all the time that I used to ride the bus by myself all over the city because I knew that system because that's what it was like growing up, right? You had to like mass transit. It was everything was available. Was it that you talked about Houston, right? Yeah, in Houston. So, but so then I went from that to like a hundred thousand people, and it was like, I mean, pretty much Pueblo. I mean, considered a bigger city in Colorado. Yeah, of course, in Colorado. But it was for me. It was wow. Like I think my neighborhood is as big as the city. <laughs> what but, year was that? <laughs> uh, was it eighty seven? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so I, I, there went to high school and that's when I kind of, initially I wanted to be a, a Coast Guard guy, but then. So, well, let's talk about your high school years. So what, yeah. what, what drove you in high school? What was your driving thing? Oh man. I think I just wanted to be better. Like I wanted to push myself harder. Like I always, I was always motivated right? Like, I think that was my driving thing was, was uh, to lift people up and like push forward. Like, let's just do this. So were uh, you a sports guy then or? I, I, yeah, well, I was a one sport guy. Um, and that's because also is, uh, in Colorado is actually what nobody really realizes. My other passion kind of crept in on me and it was on a whim, which was martial arts. So I started doing martial arts in Colorado too. So so I was a, a one high school sport guy, and then I did martial arts the entire rest of the time I was there. So, so tell me, what what was each? What was your high school sport, and what was your martial art? All right, so I was a football player, and then uh, it was a it was a hard style. It was a, a kempo, it was Ed oh, Parker, kempo, like an Ed Parker system. So basically, yeah. I think my guy learned from the guy that was under ed parker's guys so it was that whole system um if anybody saw that movie the perfect weapon with the it was like a so b budget action movie but uh the lead in that jeff speakman was was the same style like his like and it was cool to watch this guy implement stuff that I was learning and teaching in a movie, right? And I was like, oh, wow, that's pretty cool to see. Like, I, they're going through some of the stuff that we teach the young kids in the movie you see. And I was just, oh, that's super cool. But uh, so, yeah, that was my other thing. So I did that and then football in high school. So it uh, seems like most Marines did football. Football or wrestling were the two big sports that most Marines ended up doing in high school. That's yeah, I, you I, know, I caught. I, that was, and, and I always thought that was interesting, right? Because those two sports couldn't be the most opposite. I mean, one is like a, you're on your own on a mat and you just got to counter this guy. And the other one is you have a team that you, like everybody's got to kind of pull together to really make it work. But I think it's the going so. to war part. I mean, whether it's football or wrestling, you know, in the heat of the moment, it's like going to war. 
in I think a lot of people's minds. One, it's your <laughs> team, like you know, you get to the finals and mm-hmm. on either on either sport, you're that pressure and it really pushes you. Sadly, I mean, I think in both sports are, I don't want to say dead end, but both sports, unless you're the cream of the cream of the the crop in both sports, the most you're going to get out of wrestling is what, a college uh, scholarship and maybe a shot at the Olympics? Yeah. And then I I mean, I don't see much what you, yeah, you're right. That's pretty, that's a pretty interesting thought. I never thought, I mean, WWE maybe? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, But you're right. The Neither of those can have. I mean, it's very rare that you progress after college. Yeah, because I mean, I don't know how many how many players are on a high school football team. I, I would guess somewhere about thirty or forty, maybe. Uh, yeah, about 30, 37. So, uh, how many of those guys get scholarships and then go on to something bigger? Right. So, not many. Not many. So, you mentioned the Coast Guard no. was one of your. Um, Yes, because things. How did that come up living in Colorado? Oh well, see, it didn't. Colorado wasn't things. See, but you're see now we're going to jump back. That's to my that's my time growing up in in Houston. Oh, okay, in Houston, right? Yeah, because inside of the city limits of Houston, uh, you know how like in California or in most places you have an HOA and then you have an HOA pool. So if you live in that neighborhood, you go to the pool, right? Right. Well, in Houston was pretty different. Like the pool systems was run by the uh, park systems, park and recs. So pools were free. Okay, kind of like in San Antonio here. Yeah, so you have a city pool, right? A city run, it's run by the park and rec. There's no, some you pay and some you don't. But literally like um, right next to my elementary school was our city pool and they had a pretty good size. It was a, it it was a Olympic size for, swimming you know so uh ever since i could walk we were going to the pool right when i was there so i just swam and swam and swam all the time so i was like how am i going to use this and i was like well there's no way i'm gonna get a football scholarship or become some i mean i was like 145 pound (laughs) offensive guard right like so i wasn't gonna (laughs) I mean, I maybe, but I mean, I was a four-year letterman. I was playing varsity ball as a freshman, oh, and then I never left. So, but I think that was more my drive to go fu, just because I'm small and you know right, right. I don't weigh as much. I'm going to do better than you anyway, right? I'm going to work harder. I'm going to push farther, right? Anyway, uh, but it, there I wanted to swim because that's all I did, and I I, I could swim like crazy. So. I wanted to go to the Coast Guard, but the Coast Guard recruiters in Colorado are very far and few between. But there was a Staff Sergeant Potts who was a Marine recruiter who always saw you looking for somebody. And he was like, hey, man, come over here. Let me talk to you for a minute. <laughs> so was this, so the, uh, was this the high school guy that would show up in, at high school or was this at the... Uh... Oh, no, he was the recruiter guy. Yeah, he showed up. He had bring poolies in and all that. Yeah. But see, that, but the funny thing was is that I was never interested because... I had I was set on doing something else, right? And and I was doing a lot of martial arts. So, um, my you, other I, <clears throat> yeah. Were you competitive? I was yes, I I did. I competed quite a bit when okay. I got to that when I got to that point. But um, I think the idea initially was a, a 
it was either the Coast Guard or I was going to try to take over this martial arts studio. And it's like, I mean, I was doing well as by the time I was a high school senior. I mean, literally my day consisted of going to school, going to football practice when it was season, coming back home, having something to eat and then going to work and work, work and teach uh, uh, four, five and six year olds martial arts and then teach, uh, you know, adults martial arts. And then I'd get my own lesson and then um, hang out with my studio people and then they'd bring me home. So that was like, that was my like routine for the majority of my senior year. Um, Your video froze, but uh, yeah. I get what you're saying. Oh. Sorry. Oh yeah, there you go. Now we're both moving. Okay, you're still frozen on this side. There you go, you're back. Okay. All right, this is a brand new adventure for me. So bear with it people as we, uh, as we figure out the stream. So that all of that being said, you do end up as a Marine. How? Oh, man, I don't know. Uh, just a series of events, I guess. Like, like what, what year was your senior year? 90, 92. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so I mean, graduated in July, right? And, and literally, uh, uh, well, there was some, just a series of things that happened, like um, being a little more rebellious with my parents. And then uh, actually me and a, a high school friend living in with his mom, like back and forth, like literally we were like a block away. So feeling that freedom and then just kind of wanting to go, you know what, I'm not going to wait for somebody to kind of like, like I, I think I was waiting for an okay for this martial arts thing to happen. And it didn't really kind of go the way I thought. So I made a rash decision and I just went in and I said, hey, I know uh, I'm in the Pooley thing and supposed to leave in December. Can I go now? And I literally left September. So, so what September, made you, what made you want to do the, uh, or what made you go sign up in the first place? Well, because like, like the, he just, I think he, in retrospect, it's probably that kind of wanting to have like a, 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 a one home, like a, a, kind of a brotherhood that felt similar kind of like I mean I, that's why I guess I was so good on that football team right and then even on in the martial arts team but then I there was individual stuff that I excelled at but I always like to feel like a part of something right that was bigger that was bigger right like my efforts is gonna my effort is gonna actually help more than just me so <clears throat> And the Coast Guard, that martial arts, and all of those other things were that individual part of me, right? That the ego side that, that I wanted to be better for me, right? Like, I'm going to be the best that I can be, and I'm going to show everybody that, right? And then that was the, I think that was the conflict in my young life. So did and then you go I realized, challenge like that was it a challenge to you to see how good you could be as a marine? No, actually it wasn't because because I was never the loudest guy. I didn't have to be. Like I, I was never the one I, I mean if you if you think back 
and even and, and, and some of the guys who are probably going to follow this and see this, if they think back, he's never the one that had to be in front. I never yelled the loudest. I never did that. But if you talk to guys that I trained with or trained, I think they would all kind of follow that suit that like, man, if anything was there, like we're with you. Like, I mean, you don't have to be loudest. You're not, it's like, I think it goes kind of, uh, like I never had to say I was better than everybody else, but see before that, that was my struggle. Right. Because I was like, I was looking at, I'm going to take over this, this martial arts studio and maybe I'll go down this road, but that's, that's me. Right. It's, 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 I'm the sole focus. Right, right. Right. And then everybody follows. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm the point guy. Whereas the, the Marine Corps and the football and all the other group activities that I kind of wanted to be a part of were that other part of me that that said, man, I can push myself really hard and I can do all this, but I don't have to. It doesn't have to be just for me. And my successes help everybody else succeed. Right. And exactly. I think that's the part that's the part that really made me go to the Marines. Right. Is that. That they, it felt like a like a brotherhood, right? Like that, that we're willing to sacrifice our personal stuff to help the team. So it was never the like effort. A, it was never. I'm just going to go into any service. You knew it was either going to be uh, Coast Guard or Marines, and yeah, it was going to be the Coast Guard and Marines. Yeah, because I mean, like I said, I want to be a rescue swimmer. But then again, what's that? That's like the that's the guy. Hey, you know, yeah. Who cares about the guy that? flew the helicopter and it's the one that jumped down and rescued everybody that's yeah, the, it was a hollywood guy yeah it's a hollywood guy so and that, i think that's where i was at i was torn between being hollywood <laughs> or being or being practical <laughs> so uh, so you ship out early yeah. uh 92-ish september september 9th damn i think we all remember our boot camp day yeah so you get the there. yellow footprints. Oh, oh yeah. I didn't announce it the other day though. Like it happened just last month, right? Oh, that's and right. I, I was, I was, I mean, I, I was. It was in my head all day. I was like, man, I, this was. I was like anxious. I was a late flight out, right? So I actually got off. I, I didn't have to end up in the U.S. though, like, like, because they don't drop you. You don't go the yellow footprints until it's late at night, and that's on purpose. Right. Right. So if your flight's early, then you're sitting at the USO with a bunch of other guys. See, I didn't have that. I didn't get to sit and talk and meet these guys yet. My flight was like the last one in and, and I'm like getting my bags. And as I'm getting down, the drill instructors are already getting the guys out of the USO. And my group of guys that were in the airplane are like getting in there and they're get on the bus, get on the bus. So I was like literally from, the the plane off like those guys were still kind of got to hang out a little bit i was like it was like immediately off the plane yeah immediately off the plane it was like it, ah it's funny you bring so. that up because uh my last travel that i did i was flying back from uh la in late january and uh they flew for some reason they flew me to houston picked up my re return flight to san antonio from houston three quarters of the plane were air force boots with all their remember your little package that you get yes. and all that sitting on the plane as soon as i hit baggage <laughs> get over there get over there get your bags and get over there because it was yeah. that late night it was i think i got in at nine that night and it was probably exactly mm -hmm. what you were talking about those people were getting yeah. ready to ship off to lackland to go get pampered by the air force 
Yeah. Right. So which well, way did you, you see go? The, do you, well, you, you go by there, don't you? You go by Lapin. Yeah. You're in San Antonio. Do, yeah. do they pamper them? Do they pamper them worth? Um, Still, it's probably? not. It's not Marine Corps boot camp. I have no idea what army boot camps like. And honestly, I think it's not as hard. It doesn't look like they're treated as bad as you would be treated at Navy boot camp. Um, Cause I've seen them at the exchange in their little glow belts and walking yeah. around buddied up. So who knows now? I mean, everything's changed so much. I know even just from like me getting leaving, like just getting out. I mean, I, like I said, I was at SOI West as 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 early as 2000 and what 10 and oh, okay. uh it's changed well i'm saying like there, there had been changes instilled then when i was there but it still felt like soi west i mean it still felt like infantry training battalion right um so i mean it, which, yeah sorry go ahead uh speaking of which which way did you go from colorado east or west to boot camp Oh, I went. I went to. I went west. Okay. Yeah, I'm a. I. I, I ended up Hollywood after all. You Hollywood did. Hollywood Marine. Yeah. So, <laughs> tell us a little bit about your boot camp experience. Oh man, you know what? I loved it. Yeah, absolutely loved it. It was like it was the hardest. It, it was a change because like, I went. Look, we just briefed briefed over it right but like my childhood sound like it sounds cool right i got to swim at the pool all the time but and uh, i got to go here and there and move to colorado but all those things are like consequence like like my childhood was tough like i my mom and dad were in and out i was like with my grandparents i mean luckily my grandparents on both sides were like a block away like my my dad's parents lived on avenue j and my mom's parents lived on avenue k so like no, my mom it. yeah my mom had has oh man 11 brothers and sisters my dad has seven damn yeah so so like um my mom and dad were just in and out and i was always with like either grandparents or aunts and uncles uh, god god godparents which are also aunt and uncle yeah. right or you know but pretty much i did okay right like i avoided all the craziness like i wouldn't say i was an angel because i know some of my friends are gonna watch this and i don't want to misrepresent it i was like the better kid because I, I mean i was i mean i wasn't bad i mean i was i was a normal kid for where we were right Right. I mean, and I, I think I people, think so. I think people lose sight of that, that, you know, yeah. a, a Beverly Hills kid is going to be a lot different than a Compton kid. Yeah. And what the and baseline for good is, is different. Is exactly. I, I've always said it's kind of subjective, right? Yeah. It's, I think it's more on intent. Like, what is your intent for what you just did? Like, yeah, I know it could be bad in, in whatever, but I still think there are certain things where the intent matters. I agree right? so, anyway. so so but anyway yeah <laughs> so let's go back to your boot camp so you're okay. there uh first yeah. night obviously a culture shock i'm assuming oh yes yes because look i grew like i said i grew up uh um it was it was just a shock because like it was crazy 
I mean, I was pretty lenient. I had like a pretty lenient childhood, like almost no rules. Like when, if there were rules, I ignored them because where were your rules when I was home by myself? Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so, oh man. But, uh, so was there was a little, pretty... uh, humbling of Joe going on four year, uh, four year varsity football player. Now he's getting yelled at by some drill oh. instructor and in, let's see 92. Oh. So you probably had some combat bets from, uh, Desert storm. Yeah, yeah, Desert Storm, yeah. Uh, every and I, I was, I don't know how this happened. I don't know if it was just because that's just the way it was going to be. Every drill instructor interaction that I had from when I dropped were all infantry combat dudes. Like, I was like, what the heck just happened, right? Well, I mean, I, I, in retrospect, now I'm thinking, right? Because I'm right. like, holy crap. Because at then, you know, they were they would all talk about well, we Desert Storm, and I was this, they, you know, they were they really were like, oh, you got to keep this straight because you don't know when this is going to happen again, and uh, it's just crazy, right? But I, I never thought of how valuable that actually was until like later on, right? Right, right. But yes, it was a shock. I was very humbled. Very humbled in boot camp, but again, I I liked it, man. It was a I enjoyed it. I think I enjoyed new challenges at back then, right? Like, because um, I always felt like it was the the world against me, so I had to like whatever, fuck it. They're just gonna do it. Sorry, yeah, no, no it's totally it anyway. fine, man. <laughs> it, this is about this is about being as real as possible. I don't care about the language. But that being said, so speaking of fuck it, how was your time in the gas chamber? Oh, I fucking, I hated that, man. The gas chamber, uh, I didn't throw up, which was, was lucky. Um, oh, but it was, it was crazy. That's a great, like for a kid who's never, I mean, the, that's just insane when I think back on how we do that, right? That initial <laughs> thing. Wow. But you survive it, which was yeah. cool. I mean, right? I, I still remember I've been gassed. It's, it's a joke to me now how many times I've been gassed. Um, but that being said, I still can remember how I felt looking at that door before we even marched in, in boot camp. I think everyone had their assholes tight. And yes. I, and I was, I was like, <clears throat> man, I think again, I think back now at, at little things, right? These little, those little things. Like l luckily I, I didn't bolt for the door. I didn't vomit, but looking at that door before going in and seeing other people, you have that, you have that it's, I think it's that, that thing. And for me, I just like, I'm going to do it. Switch. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, and some, some, I guess some, some are still like uh, trying to figure it out when they go in. Like I was, I think I was lucky enough to figure it out before I went in the door. Like if I was in there, I might've made a different decision if I hadn't already kind of like clicked in my head. No, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. <laughs> right. So growing up in Houston, did you, uh, with your huge extended family, did you have much, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Did you have much time around guns prior to getting on the range for the first time in boot camp? No, I mean not 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 in 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 a in a in a constructive in in, in any way constructive manner. 
No, like I had no like. Uh, I would say I wouldn't. I, I would have. I would have had zero experience, like actual firearm experience. So like what I'd was... see. I'd I'd seen guns. I'd picked them up. I'd shot them, but I'd never been trained. Really, yeah, or or even like taking the time to kind of really understand what this thing was, right? Like right. to go, hey, this is a tool. You can do it. This. This is all the ways to use it. Like I don't think I ever had that. So it was just like, oh, cool, it's a gun, right? They see on TV. So I, I know from the West Coast, you ha- you're in San Diego, and then they take you up to Camp Pendleton to do some field time and your range time. So what was yes. your first time on the range like, or how did it feel? It was exhilarating, man, to, to be able to shoot like that, like to, to go through that whole process. Like, I look, again... I don't know if it was just weird on my part, but when I got past the shock of what boot camp was, I, I, I was always amazed at how much I was learning and how quickly things kind of became like usable, right? I don't right, know, actionable. Right. right. And the range was just like that. Like go through the, the grass week and they teach you the marksmanship stuff and then putting it on and, and like applying it. And being able to like hit a target was super cool. Like I just, it was, uh, I don't know. It's a, again, Hollywood thing, maybe it, it felt uh, like the movies, right? It felt yeah. like the movies. Well, and I think that's really, I mean, that's probably your real only point of reference. You weren't one of those guys who grew up hunting and hunting and doing all that. Neither was I. No. So, I mean, it's really your first point of reference right there. Yeah. So, I know now they have the crucible at the end of boot camp uh, for, I think my little brother went in in 97, 98. And I think that was yeah. like a year or two after they implemented it. What was, yeah, yeah. What was your big uh, moment prior to when they gave you the Eagle Club and anchor? Or did you guys have a big stress test at the end of your boot camp? Man, not that I remember that. that. I mean, we had, they had an infiltration course, but it was, I mean, it was, it was at, it wasn't even up in Camp Pendleton. It was, it was in third phase. It was the bottom. And it was just uh, the whole obstacle course in the back uh, set up in a different way. And then, you know, bayonets and all that stuff, but it was nothing like what the crucible was. And I'm almost like, man, I wish they would have had that when I went. Right. I mean, I I feel (laughs) it. So, but uh, impressive. It, it, it is impressive to watch those guys do that. Yeah, you know, so, I know, I, I know, I know. I gave him crap. Oh, you're a crucible guy, right? <laughs> but secretly, I think I was just impressed. At yeah, what they had done. But by that time, you know, I was like, "Do you think the crucible is bad? Wait till we get in the backyard here at Fifth Marines." <laughs> is what I used to think. So. <clears throat> Going on to tell me about your graduation day. Oh man, my graduation day was super cool. Like, uh, surprisingly, I had no idea this was going to happen, but my dad showed up with my younger brother for boot camp graduation. It was a, a surprise. I didn't think anybody was going to show. Like, I, I didn't think anybody was going to make it. And, and, and not, not because I didn't think that they cared or any or anything like that. It's, it's far from the farther from the truth. Like I, I know that my family loves me. Like they, they all love me, like every one of them. And, and I never blamed, 
I never doubted their love for me based on the situation that we had been put in, right? Like, or the, the things that had happened or any actions taken. Um, I never blamed them. I, I never blamed that for a lack of love. I just realized, I mean, I was growing up where they were growing up. I was like, this shit's fucking tough. Right, you know? right. And, and, I, and in my head, I always think like, God damn, you know what? If I would have made this exact, if, if I would have just turned right instead of left, at this one point, man, I'd have been following so-and-so, right? But I didn't. And, and it was that easy. It's like, and, and I don't think people that, people always say, oh, everybody has struggles. Everybody has these experiences, but they're not. Everybody's experience is different. And it does kind of, it can be a simple left turn that can like you know, at the at, yeah, at the age of twelve, a left turn that can take your life down this series of events that you had no intention of doing that. So that's why I say the content is a lot, right? Like if that left turn meant, hey man, I'm, I haven't I haven't had like a anything to eat in a couple of days, so I'm just gonna do this because I'm gonna get some money and then you know, do this or whatever, right? So the intent was big for me. So so okay, you. Graduate boot camp. You're now yeah. a United States Marine. Uh, family comes in. Do you go on leave or do you go report to SOI? No, or actually, let me ra- let me back up. Yeah, no question. Yeah, we know. I was gonna say my dad and brother showed up for graduation. I was like super. Imp- I was like wow, because I mean I, uh, I hadn't seen my dad for a while. Like he had been away to college, and then was in college, and then he brought my brother. And, and then also he was doing well again. So not only did he come with my brother, he came with a car that he had bought me. So I was like, he's like, I, we, I know I missed high school graduation and other things, but I wanted to kind of, so he kind of did that. So graduation was awesome. So I, I did take my leave. I didn't go straight to, to SOI. Um, but what I ended up doing was I ended up signing, I tried for recruiter's assistance and I ended up getting it. But which had happened by this time was my parents, my mom had moved back to Houston and my dad was in Houston. Um, and all my, so all my family was back in Houston. Unfortunately, recruiter's assistance is it is in the state that at the recruiting station where you, or the high school you went to. So what I ended up doing was I went from there, we drove back to Houston instead of flying um, with my dad and my brother. And we, did a slow trip and kind of like hung out, which was crazy because we drove from California to Texas in December. So like snow and sleet all oh, through true. El Paso and that whole area, New Mexico. Yeah. Uh, so, but we get back and then, uh, so I spent half of my leave with my dad, another part of it with my mom. And then I did my recruiter's assistance. I flew up to Pueblo and I did recruiter's assistance for, like five days. Oh, cool. Um, uh, and then, <clears throat> then when that was over, I went to SOI West. So I went back to Camp Pendleton. So I was going to ask you, but I think you just answered it. So you knew off the bat that you were going to be a infantryman. I know three. Oh yeah, no, no, okay. yeah. I, I actually uh, I, I signed up for that. Um, and I want to say that the if we what we need to do is we need to find. If you want to increase sales in anything, you got to find Marine recruiters. Those guys are amazing at their job. <laughs> this guy sold yes, me are. that 
yes, he sold me on this thing. And, and I was actually, I, I didn't want, and he sold it in a way that really fit for me, right? Like he's like, oh man, anybody can go and be a cook. Anybody can be a mechanic, right? And what you're going to do is you're going to next four years, four to six years or however long, you're going to be a cook and you're going to be a mechanic every day of your life. Grunts, man, can be anything at any time. And, and, and I shit you not, he did not lie. Like, I, it, was, it was not a lie. Like, being an infantryman has been the most kind of, like, uh, adaptable way of living. Like, I've done everything in the Marine Corps, short of flying a, an aircraft, right? I've never flown flew a helicopter or a jet, but I've sat in the driver's seat of a LAV, a armored vehicle. I actually even, I think at one point, I was lucky enough to drive a tank. So like, I mean, I've done all these things. I've worked yeah. on Humvees with guys. Like, so like the recruiter guy was absolutely true. As a grunt, I was able to do everything <laughs> short of a pilot, so. So talk to me about SOI. SOI was... Because uh, I don't think a lot of... I think people think you become a Marine, you're handed a rifle, and you go off to a battalion. I don't think people know about oh, this no. Yeah, no, little no, middle no. ground. Um, no, there's a middle ground. SOI was crazy because back when, when, when they did it for me, is, is they, you had to do infantry training kind of twice because you had to do Marine combat training. Everybody did it. Because their idea was like, again, it was every, every Marine a rifleman, right? So everybody's going to have to do that. So MCT is a condensed version of infantry training battalion where you learn to be an infantryman, whether you're going to be a, 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 base, a, a rifleman, uh, an automatic rifleman, uh, or a, a machine gunner, basically, a mortarman, or any other infantry MOS, right? Because there's other things than just the guy that carries one rifle. Right. But... So they condensed that rifleman course into like a, a 35 day thing for every MOS. So every MOS actually goes to MCT and then from there they'll go to a different school. So if you're gonna be a mechanic, you'll go to either SOI, you go through that course and then you go to another school for being a mechanic or uh, an administrative person or whatever you're, you're gonna do. Um, but grunts had to go there then and then we have to just walk up the hill to the other battalion and just relearn in more detail what we just did in 35 days. So, uh, and probably that's the pretty fun. Of a lot more weapons. Yes, absolutely. So again, I'm going to go back to that same question I asked you about uh, going to the range for the first time. How was it playing with all the various different weapons? Or we'll be more official. How was hmm. it training on those weapons? It, I think it was cool. I, I, I it was, uh, again, like I said, like I, I had seen guns and seen all these things, but now to actually learn how to implement them and use them and use them in a way that's effective was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty interesting. I, I enjoyed all of my training there. Um, I don't know. I, I guess it's like a kid going into a candy store. You're like, oh, wow, look at all these really cool things. But which is weird is like, I never thought of them as like, I don't know if this is going to sound weird, but uh, I never thought of them as like, oh, hey, I wonder how many people I can kill with this, right? Like that was never my thought. I don't know if that makes sense. It, it does. You're so seeing these weapons, right? It, it, I was just impressed with 
the capabilities of, of certain things, right? So was it more of a looking at it purely from a tool perspective? Yeah. Well, I think at that point I, in my head that I realized that it was just, it's a tool, right? Like it's going to, this, what is going to make me the best um, part of this cog? Like what, what things are going to make me more effective to keep the guys on my left and my right alive? I think so. Yeah, I think it was more of the tool perspective, right? It's a this is like a tool, and which tool is better for which job? Right on. So you finish SOI. Now you go to your battalion. And yes, FNG. Oh, no. Yes, but I was the I I I still and I'm never gonna. People in any other battalion can are gonna argue and they're gonna want to argue, but. I was lucky enough to go to the most decorated unit in the entire Marine Corps. And, and they haven't been at the forefront of every battle that we've had since maybe World War II or whatever, but still, like, they're still the most decorated unit, 2nd Battalion, 5th Marines, right? Um, fighting fit. And uh, at the time, 2-5 had still such kind of like prestige or however it was, the uh, the companies had the hand pick of SOI students. So like at graduate, like just before graduation, I remember the first sergeants coming in and kind of like talking to some of us or coming through and like checking everybody out. And then uh, I ended up in Fox Company because I had a I had a first class swim qualification, and I didn't realize like I don't know what that meant. But the uh, first sergeant there was like super tight with the sergeant major. And he could just go and pick the cream of the crop out of SOI. So that's what they did. So I, I ended up going to Fox Company because of the, the um, swim qualification. And then lucky enough, uh, one of the, one of, some of those guys in that company had been guys that I went to boot camp with. So I ended up meeting more of guys that I had met previously. But it was, uh, it was pretty cool. They thrashed the shit out of us all the time in that thing and every like every one of the the ncos were all combat guys like every one of them were combat veterans that around, i had when around I first that time, dropped around, around the time that you would have gotten there you would have had what um some first sergeants maybe some uh master guns that uh oh no 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 around vietnam uh, oh no yes oh yes yes yeah. for sure one of our um yes that's Arnold. He was a Vietnam, Vietnam veteran. You know, Taylor. He was one of our. He was one of our. Yeah, one of our platoon sergeants. Um, first platoon. And then, but, but every one of the sergeants and corporals were all combat dudes. Like so, they were every all one of them. Yeah. Storms. And they were yeah, and they were all, all assholes. <laughs> so did you come but, in? But, but in a good way. I'm gonna say they were assholes in a good way. Did did you come in as an E1 or did you get bumped up at all during that oh, process? I'm, I'm telling you, man, increase your sales, get a Marine recruiter. Yeah, no, I can't. I was I but I got bumped up because I did a six year QEP quality entry program. It was quality, all right. Six so, years. <laughs> E2 first. Yeah, E2. So. Um, Right, first class. But I, but I ended up, but you know what? I had, I, I had gotten meritoriously promoted anyway, so it didn't matter. So what you were? Uh, what, I was, I was Lance E two. Oh, okay. Yeah, Lance Cor Yeah, Lance Corporal. That's a three. 
yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, it's all good. It, it's, it was yeah. so long ago. It was a long time ago. <laughs> so you, anyway. So what happens at uh, 2.5? What, oh, what's your man. first job? Oh, just so whatever you, you know, new guy is. Oh, you're the you're the point man of of a squad. They they dropped me into third platoon, which actually had uh, the senior leadership. I think we had a, a sergeant at the time. It, again, the sergeant, crusty old sergeant, the crustiest guy I'd ever met in my life, and he was only twenty six. But I could have swore the guy was fifty. And you were what? Probably just, nineteen by then. I was, yeah, I was nineteen. So, um, but it was awesome, man. Like literally dropped, dropped there. Uh, started doing a little bit. Of, they, they were already had do, doing some training cycle, and then literally like a week later, we were at CAX Twenty Nine Palms. Oh damn! For a com- combined arms exercise, and and then and then at that time, like literally, I'm I'm like a boot like super boot and with some other super boots like we're all boot ass dudes like uh, we've all dropped because that because by the time we get to cax none of the combat guys were going to go so the majority of the ncos that were short timers and were combat dudes they were were trained they were trained hey they were tough on us when we were in the barracks and we're back before we went to cax but they're like yeah i'm not going to cax (laughs) (laughs) So third platoon had like two NCOs for the entire platoon of, uh, I think we had like 20 something guys, but we're all new. So me and I remember another, another Lance Corporal Golden. Seriously, we were new. Like he dropped like a couple of months before I did. And then I dropped into the battalion and they made us, okay, you guys are going to (laughs) be squad leader or, or uh, I think they I think they made a platoon commander and platoon sergeant oh Jesus yes it was a cluster man. did you it even know crazy. how to turn on the radio at that point in time I had no dude no clue <laughs> but uh we made it through CACs man and we did some great it was pretty fun and I think after that uh, we got back and then uh after CACs we got back to the battalion and this is where it helped like literally within the first four months being in the fleet, I had went to a CACs, got back. And then um, the reason some of those NCOs were gone was because they were the annual rifle squad competition dudes. So they did a super squad comp. They were a super squad oh, guys. Okay. Right. So then when they got back, two of them were promoted and, uh, so they, so they go, well, you can't stay in the squad. So they said, hey, well, we need people in the squad. So literally like, and then I ended up getting picked up to join a, a rifle squad competition. So like as a Lance Corporal, 1993, I also ended up going to meet the Commandant, General Mundy, uh, Sergeant Major Overstreet. We did the annual rifle squad. I, I was a annual rifle squad early on. And I think that- Do they still do that now? They still do that. Yeah, they still do it. They've short, I don't think they, they haven't done it in a while and now they've kind of condensed it. So like before, well, they actually started to condense it the year we did it because we only competed within the division and then they gave four division guys, uh, um, for the four squads from all four divisions, a championship. So, so we competed against all the other people within first Marine division. 
and then second Marine division, third Marine division, and then the reserve guys. So yeah, it's a lot like um, Best Ranger, which I think they did a documentary on. Just, you know, best comp best rifle squad from each of the battalions showing off that mm -hmm. they can shoot, move, do all, all the shit that what you should really be doing in combat. Right. Yeah, shoot, move, and communicate. <laughs> so what happens? Uh, do you, do you um, ah, Jesus, why am I drawing a blank? Do you do a Mew while you're with 5th Marines? I did, I did, a, I did two Mews. Yeah. Both two Westpacks? Mews, two, uh, one Westpack. Yeah, yeah. One, no, no. Only one Westpack and then three UDPs. Okay. But our Westpac, our Westpac was to Somalia. So we did, uh, we were in Somalia in 93, 94. So, so people know Westpac 94. is the big um, Marine slash Navy movement that basically, as it said, it covers the Western Pacific. So Hawaii yeah. West. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those now go into the Persian Gulf and eventually go play with Iraq or Afghanistan on, on those nowadays. Yeah. You I, oh man, I did. I did that. I did a, 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 and then we used to do the small little thirty uh, first mu, um, which, little which the little, little mini packs. A UD thirty uh, first mu is their station in Okinawa. Yeah. Right. Uh, third uh, with the third mu, uh, MEF. But the the mu is a. Uh, they have a mu there, and you just go. It's, a, it's UDP is a unit pre deployment, so it's where we have pre deployed. Marine Corps assets, Army, Navy, all on Japan still. I think it's part of our um, joint defense treaty or something. So uh, some units go on a ship out of San Diego and they cruise the Westpac. Some guys fly over to Japan and they sit on the island and wait there. Um, but then they also have a small unit. So normally you're three months on the island and then three months floating around in the Southern Pacific. So uh, we got to do that. Talk about your time in Somalia or doing the Somali thing. I was, it wasn't, it wasn't nearly, when I think back on it now, it was, it was an experience. Um, we didn't do very much. They kept us out of the city. Um, but you were running, but you were running like it was a actual war zone still, right? At that point well then. i mean yeah oh man i actually i think i carried more ammo and and rounds and ammo and extra i think i um and claymore mines at4s like literally i i don't know how we walk i don't know how we moved with all the stuff we went into somalia compared to all the stuff we went into an actual like when we were movement to contact, I was like, wait, we're really actually doing movement to contact. And I remember Somalia being like a turtle, like literally if you sat down, you're not getting back up unless somebody helped you. I mean, I had bandoliers of ammo, magazines from guys that weren't coming on shore. It was just insane. So were you, a, then, uh, were you a heavy gunner or were you? Uh... No, no, I was just a, just, no, I'm talking about five, five, six for my M16. <laughs> <laughs> oh and then you know and then i had I, everybody could look back then we still had the heavy stuff right so everybody but everybody spread loaded everything so but did I you think i had yeah you didn't have sappies back then though did you 
No, it was just an old school. The flat. Vietnam. Same, yeah, flat. Vietnam era. Yeah, the one you. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, no, no, not even buttons on it. It was just, and they're all faded. Yeah. Like the, the, the OD gray or OD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then when you, when you, uh, when we go in, they, they don't even give you a different color one. You have, you still have the green one. Yeah. Over your, over your chocolate chip cookie like a uh, camo. Yeah. Yeah, they had a um, cover you could put on them. That was what it was. It was like a cloth cover you could put over your flap. So was this pre or post um, Black Hawk Down? Post. We were there to do. We helped. Uh, we supported what Quick Draw, which was the Quick Draw was the Neo, I think, in Rwanda and Burundi. Okay. And then and then uh, no, Quick Draw was removing a force. We we supported them getting everybody out. It was after the Black Hawk Down thing. Oh, okay. So, were so you, everybody, we were there to help everybody get withdrawn. We covered a lot of that stuff. They they put us in a some little some little compound like uh, south of the city or something. So you and, was that around the same time that the Rwanda thing was going on? No, that happened at the same time. Yeah, they never talked about sending you guys down there. Then we did the we did a, a we did like an advanced reconnaissance of some airport that they were going to use. But that was the sole. That was a. That was the only kind of participation in that, and it was only. A, it was only like a one platoon in attachments. It was our platoon in attachments, and then and then some. The, I don't know, like asset guys or whatever guys. The guys are going to do all the planning. Yeah. Guys out of your big grid. But but yeah. But that was one of the coolest CH-53 stallion rides I'd ever been on. Like the pilots that we had on those aircraft were super, super cool. These were the guys that these were the guys that would have uh, that that would put the ramp down so that you could, so instead of fast roping, he would just let you run off the back of his helicopter onto the top of a roof. Those were the kind of pilots we had. Um, they did some crazy landing. <laughs> It's to this day, it's like blowing my mind. Like we came in, they came in as if they were going to just land like a, like an airplane, right? So they just came in and cruised in. And as soon as all four wheels touched ground, they both lifted up, flipped sideways, and then pulled down. And we all had to evac out really quick. It was super cool. Nice. Probably one of the best experiences. You know, you, you, you ever have those, Tommy, you ever have those experiences when you were in, in the military where, where you look to your right and you look to your left and you see your buddies? I mean, obviously, before combat, right? Like before right, right. getting into a combat. But this is during training. You're in training, right? Although this wasn't training either, but this was one of those points, right? That was my first time when I actually felt like, man, I'm in the fucking military. And we do some crazy stuff, man. We got to like really be on our toes. Like this is not, this is that, that, that was my first when I realized like, man, this isn't Hollywood, man. This is real. Yeah. Like something bad could go really wrong. Yeah. Really wrong, really fast. Um, And, and in Somalia is where I had my first, like, and, and, and my buddies are, my buddies laugh about it and they, and they all do because it's funny. It's super funny. But for me, it was like, it was that defining moment when I realized like, fuck man, if I don't like, if, if, if I'm not more careful, I can get people killed and, or be killed. 
Like this can really yeah. be the shit. Um, a buddy of mine, we're like I said, they put us in this southern compound while we were pull, they were pulling people out, right? They, so we're getting they're getting people out. But they had us first south, and we'd already done some. We'd done patrols, and we'd looked around, and we'd moved around the area, and it was pretty quiet. And they said it, they, they didn't expect anything anyway. But we still had set perimeters. We did the whole thing. So me and my buddy were on watch, and we knew there was a hole that we had to keep an eye on. Man, I swear to you, it was like a. I hit I hit one of our own trip trip wires that set oh, off geez. a flash. It set off a flashbang. But the flashbang had been set into the wall so that when it went off, part of it blew the wall towards us, right? So I was there, and the idea was we had the um, – <clears throat> so I let that thing off, and I swear it was like, holy fuck, somebody could have just shot me. Like I was really – we were not – because me and my buddy were fucking around because we were like, nothing's going to happen. It's all bullshit. Why do we do – you know what I mean? It was that yeah. – I was letting that – Lance Corporal mentality start to creep in because we'd already seen what this place was like and all oh, it's bullshit fucking army with a bunch of pussies anyway right like you know yeah, the yeah. typical typical bravado of the Marine Corps 20, yeah it's, yeah right and then that happened now uh, we had the biggest laugh after but still like I was like it I thought like holy fuck dude it could have just dude somebody could have just shot my head off yeah and on top of that i mean yes flashbangs hurt but nothing like a claymore no but then the worst part was worrying that holy fuck what if the guys uh the the, the gunners that are covering this area hope they don't shoot at us yeah right so we like immediately on the radio hey joe just palacios in sweden <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how long did you spend good out? times man Oh man, what were we there for? Or how long was that Mew? The oh, man, look, the the we were actually just stoked to get off the boat is what it was. We were there for nine and a half. We did like over, I think a little more than three months of what a normal deployment would have been. So about but, nine months. Yeah, but the majority of that, they they weren't ready for us. The majority of that we were sitting off the coast. And we were doing what the uh, ship called Gator Squares. Oh God! Basically, he just did circles, right? Yeah. And then, uh, and then it got so repetitive. I believe we had three beer days in a row. Um, the XO of the ship lost his mind, and every morning woke us up to Sunny and Shares. I got you, babe. And before we went to bed every night, had to play Groundhog Day. So, like, <laughs> we did that for three or four months in a row oh you gotta love the xl <laughs> yeah, they're usually it. twisted fuckers <laughs> yes but 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 also we were the only ship to be in uh <clears throat> everybody was in shorts the, the, the ship captain was like screw this everybody's in shorts well i mean so we we're just picnic. shorts we had a steel beach picnic every weekend this that was another moment of like man this is what the military should be like. <laughs> were, you, were you on a Were you on an LHA or? Oh no, no. my first ship was a LPD six. The, the 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 loose the now decommissioned. Okay. Yeah. So, all of that happens, and you obviously made it out of Somalia in one piece. Oh yeah. Minus a little bit of a bell getting rung. 
Yeah, and then and 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 I think my whole perspective on training and and because at, at the time, like I thought I was invincible, right? I was already a super squad dude. I'd already been meritoriously promoted, right? I I was a uh, in my head. You were a, a you, in, you were in, a yeah, sergeant in, in Lance Corporal. Yeah, Plan. and in my head, I had ran a platoon with another Lance Corporal, which really was us just messing around, right? But I, I um, but then I started to take. I, I just took it a little more serious after that, right? Like, don't get me wrong. My super squad training was spot on. The squad leader of that squad to this day, I owe everything when I got my head back out of my ass to him. Like it was like, because I always tried to learn more than just what the grunt needed to know. Right. Like, and I always to try to get the guys to like expand more of what they know because the guy was, he was right. Like, it, it, it's just true. He's like, how can you be, you can be a better Marine if you also know how to be a better corpsman. If you also know how to be a better machine gunner. If you also know how to be a better, you know, assaultman. So learning everybody else's jobs and learning how to do it and how to be that and was important. And then even to the pact where he's like, man, don't just do that. Expand your other knowledge, man. Go out there, pick up critical thinking skills, take a philosophy class, do something that's just. Right. Get out of your comfort zone. Yes. Get out of your comfort zone. So, so, so you get home. Yeah. Um, are you still, you're still in the barracks at that point in time, right? Oh man. I, I lived in the barracks until I was like 36. <laughs> and and in a reserve battalion. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what happens next? No, I stayed with the I stayed with the two five, and I stayed with two five. I started working hard, hard again, just a squad leader, platoon sergeant stuff. And, and the then, reason, the reason yeah. why I ask is because you're you're in what a lot of people refer to as a dead zone time in the military, outside of a few minor things that happen. Yeah. Uh, Yugoslavia, Croatia, Serbia, that thing. Outside of that, you're in dead zone for the next several yeah. years. Yeah, no, no. And, and, and I actually had broken time too. So like I got back from there and I just dove into training Marines. Like how, how, can, I, how can I be a better leader? How can I train them better? How can I make sure that they don't act, uh, make a same mistake and feel like an idiot? Right. But at the same time, no shit, scared the shit out of yourself and like an entire company, right? Like the entire, this whole thing. So, so I really kind of try to be a better uh, trainer and I didn't want to be like the typical guy, right? Like the, the, the guys before me were great, but, but a lot of them like yelled a lot. Right. And I never kind of could get past that. Right. Cause I couldn't get past that. They had to be, I didn't think you had to be an asshole to be a good leader. Does that make sense? Right? No, it, de- it definitely makes sense. Yeah. I think nowadays yeah. that's more common than not. But back then that was very uncommon to be the quiet yeah. leader. It, there was yeah. a oh, and, and, level and, and, of yelling and it, expected. Yes. And it, 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 and it really not even that long ago where that's the loudest guy seemed to be the one in charge. Yeah. Not necessarily the smartest or competent uh, to say the least yes exactly <laughs> but um so yeah i just got back and i just 
that's all I did. I trained. I, I mean, I trained a lot of Marines. I did a lot of training and stuff. Uh, and, and you're right. It was a dead zone. So the, what, what that was, it entailed like, how do we better training? What do we come up with? So like, I got to do some really cool training stuff. Like we did these, uh, this hunter warrior was going on back then, which was another kind of, uh, what they call dispersion ops, where they try to figure out how can we make squads smaller and more lethal. Like, so we did a lot of like really cool stuff. We had guys, uh, and at the, I guess at the time, the war fighting lab really liked fifth Marines because we used to do a lot of really crazy. Cool, yeah. Cool stuff. Nice. Um, I trained, I, I helped train midshipmen for the course from ed stuff. They'd bring those guys out. Um, so it was really a lot of that learning how to refine my craft, I guess. So you finish up your time at fifth Marines. Is that the end of your mm -hmm. first enlistment then? Yes. The end of my first enlistment, I was actually ready to go. Like, I, I think I, I thought I was ready to go. So uh, I got out and then like, I think I lasted like six months where, where I was like, Oh, cause I was at the same thing. Right. I, I was super motivated. And, and I see this with a lot of friends still do. Uh, even like later, like guys that I meet later in my career, like there's, there's always these guys. They're like, ah, I'm ready to get, they, 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 all their entire time in the core has been miserable for them right? They don't like it. They always talk how horrible it is. God, I can't believe I did this. But then when they're out, all of a sudden, they're chesty goddamn pooler because they love the Marine Corps. It was the best experience of their life. They're the ones and with the license plates and the hats. Yeah. But you know what it comes down to is people don't realize, I think what it is, it's like, uh, they've got their, I've been watching the, I don't know if you watch Meat Eater. Yeah. Yeah. The hunting show. Yeah. Okay. I was not a hunter as a kid because we, we just discussed that earlier. Um, but I've been watching this because my oldest really wants to, to be a hunter and wants to learn how to do this. So I've kind of gotten into it. And now my four-year-old is a, is a fan of watching this whole process. But what I was getting to is that some of these friends who are now super Marine Corps think what they were going through was that they didn't realize that the hardship and, and, and the sacrifice that, and the struggle is what makes it so goddamn amazing. Exactly. Right? It's like that that the the thing where sometimes at night where it's like, God damn, today just ripped your heart out. But it was the best day ever, you know? Yeah. Like I mean, take it uh, take it back to the gas chamber. Same thing. Yeah. You're, you're built up to this big tension. It sucks donkey balls the first time, no matter how, how mm -hmm. many times I've been gassed. And probably in the in the mid double digits by this point in time still always yeah. go back to that first time and hate it in the moment but love it now like love what i learned from it now and i think that's what you're going out with these guys too yeah so you're out absolutely you're out for six months what happened in that little six month window oh man it's, it was a uh, all kinds of stuff i got a dog learned how to be a dog trainer started a business like uh started training dogs and uh, just took off from there. Like I was doing dog training, but, but, I, but again, I was going to not give up at the civilian thing. So, so when I went back, I just went back as a reservist. Right? So what year was that? That was uh, 99. Okay. So yeah. uh, 2000, 2000. Yeah. So what unit just, were you with? I was with I, LAR. I went, okay. So I went you, right you, back they to, put yeah. you, 
was it with LAR? Was it the one that we were both at? It we were still. You weren't there. It was in Talega. Yes, fourth LAR. They were at, oh, Camp they were up in, at the time. They were, oh wow, they were up there. Yeah. So 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 every time I went to Drill Weekend, it felt like coming home, right? Because they were at Talega. So for six years of my life, previously, actually, I I think I even went longer. I think I extended a little bit because I was so unsure uh, getting out, but I got out. But uh, but coming coming down Christianitas Road and looking to my right and seeing the 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 barracks and Fifth Marines, man, right? It's like God's country, mm. they call it. Which when you live there, they call it that. But and, and then uh, you realize when you get to Talega, you're in the nah, trouble. Like, oh, I'm on the other way. And then I go in there, and it's like, what did I, what did I sign myself up for? Where the hell did they keep the LAV? Uh, I know they they kept them up in the back. They had like a little ramp area, very small. Because during my first no, but here's what happened. My first time when I didn't have to hike anywhere i was like why don't we all just ride in these yeah why <laughs> well i was gonna say during my first enlistment uh the cb unit i was with got decommissioned and the debt that i was at uh headquarters which where the corpsmen were uh got moved down to talega for a short period of time before i switched oh. units so it was weird that we both were in talega in the 90s yeah, that's where the field med school is, right? Too, right? No, where, uh, it's uh, field med. I think has always been down by the one by. Uh, I almost want to say Dana Point, but that's not it. Uh, the one right by the main gate in Anofri, that oh, little okay. compound that you go over the bridge to, where the recon's boat. Oh, house. that's right. Yes. Okay. Now I remember. So, you're you go back in the reserves, um, super squad guy. What? Would you come back in as an E3 or an E4? Oh man, we won't go there. I came back in as an E4. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so cor so Corporal Palacios now, yeah, motivated, just left active duty. No, no, not not just left active duty. Well, I'd been out. I'd been out a year and a half. Yeah. Oh, okay, so it was. Over I lasted six months. Yeah, I lasted six months before I started to want to go back. Okay. but then uh, but it took so, a while for me to get back in. But so now a year and a half later, but you're still probably super squad motivated. Oh yeah, totally, totally. What was it like dealing with the reserves? Your first it, look. It was a good old boy. It, it's the, the reserves is always, and I think it will always be a good a good boys network. Somehow you have to find your in, or somebody's got to like you right away. You got to find the right, and then if you if you if you meet up with the wrong click, then you're kind of screwed. Right. Like it's it, the, the, the reserves is like so insanely crazy. And well, because you don't then, PCS and, either though. No. I mean, if no, you guys say, I mean, I, I think there's, there were guys at fourth LAR that are still there. That, that are probably still there now. Yeah. I mean, my, my last uh, Marine Corps command that I worked for was fourth recon and same thing. There's guys that have been there E1 to E7. Now they might have jumped companies, but I mean, that's still that same command. The same same command. Yeah. So you yeah. get there motivated, all about the Marine yeah. Corps. And I'm going to be honest, I've heard a lot of things about the mid-90s to pre to right before 9-11. All reserve units, like you were saying, were good old boys. Standards were whatever. Yeah. How did that? How did that culture shock hit you? Well, no, no. The, okay, that's. I think that's what was kind of good about Fourth LAR was that they they had 
the standards were maintained. Like everybody kind of, it felt like being Marine Corps. Okay. But, but what I didn't, it, it didn't have the same, um, like it was still that, like you had to kind of get past that point. Right. But for some, it just that, that hazing point, right. Like that, Oh, you're the new guy. Right. Yeah. But for, for some, I think in, in the fleet, that point was quick. Like, yeah, they, they brought you into the fold pretty quickly. It, LAR it takes a long time. Or like in the reserve, it seems like it took takes way longer than necessary. Well, and don't and forget. for some reason, yeah, unless you unless you make friends with the right person by happen by happenstance, yeah. right? Like you just happen to like click with the right guy at the right time, then you're okay. But if not, then you got to like work your way in. Well, and you got to remember a full year of reserve duty if you're going based off of what the book says is uh 48 drill periods so that's uh two drill periods a day so that's what 24 days plus two weeks so like 36 days that you're around these yeah. guys yeah that's true out of a year versus what's a week yeah. that's like that's like a month and a half or less than a yeah. month and a half that you would have in, in the fleet because as an e1 to e so even in some cases in e4 you're barracks bound the entire time unless you yeah. up, unless you shack up with the lady and so mm -hmm. you're around those same guys same corporals same same lance corporals yeah. same the officers and then and i also noticed that in the in the reserves too like some of those guys work civilian jobs together now yeah but it's I mean, not the same as in the in the in the fleet yeah cuz like you live together 24 hours a day yeah and and, and a field yeah. exercise isn't like when we were at fourth LAR and we take the vehicles out for an afternoon, you yeah. were out there for a week, two weeks, sometimes doing actual no shit. Oh, field man, I, man. I remember when we couldn't get a training. We couldn't get, I was in a small boat company with Fox, but even if we couldn't get a training company, we were down at the boat house, sleeping in the boat basin. Like they, we'd lay out bivy sacks or the, the not even bivy sacks, then shelter halves. You put oh, okay. shelter halves up in the, <laughs> And the thing, and just take boats and ride around the beach and come back to the boathouse. I was like, wow. Yeah. But you're right. It, it, we're there for like three days doing raids, boat raids. But at LAR, it's like you go but out. But even that, though, I mean, you weekends. could, you yeah. could be, as an active duty guy, you could be doing it for three days or three weeks. Mm -hmm. Where with the reserves, you're limited by Friday evening, which is a wasted day, and Saturday mm -hmm. and Sunday afternoon is a wasted half which day. is a wasted half day yeah yeah because everyone wants to get home and i get it i mean you you're i give the reserves a lot of credit i was a reservist for 90 percent of my time i mean i consider my last four years active duty because by no choice of my own um, right <laughs> funny funny story I, I i went beyond my enlistment and they wouldn't let me leave <laughs> wow but um we'll get to that on another podcast yeah that'll be cool that being said, so, we'll so, you, that one. so you're there 2000 um, yeah, and the days are ticking. You're doing your drill weekends and suddenly, yeah, I'm, and, and I'm coming. Yeah. I'm, I'm, but see at the time it wasn't, uh, I was doing well enough that getting my fix with a few Marines, like coming out and doing a PT thing with Marines and going to the field, like overnight was, was, was working for me because I had a good, I had a good thing going. Cause I was working with dogs, right? So 
I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to say, explain this and this is an important factor yeah, definitely. in definitely. what I'm at because when I got out the first time, I adjusted pretty good. What I missed was just the interaction with Marines. So being a reservist was sufficient, right? And I didn't care that um, I wasn't in the club yet. All I needed was to have uh, was to make sure I got a haircut every Friday, right? Like I just wanted to put the uniform on get a haircut, right? Like I wanted to be the Marine again, right? And you I wanted to okay at least, I want, yeah. And that was, that's yeah. all you needed. And I wanted to go back and I wanted to like, you know, PT with other guys and talk Marine talk and be a Marine, right? So I didn't have to be, uh, I didn't care if I was in the club at the time. Like I didn't care. It wasn't right. a big deal. Like I was like, ah, we, they, we, we're going to be safe. There's no war. Nobody's kicking up. We, you know what I mean? We got, we got another yeah. 10 years. There's a lull in the in the in the, in the yeah. action, right? So, so let me ask you this: Little did I know what what month did you go back in? Let's see, I went back in. I, I want to. Oh man, I want to say like October. Okay, maybe maybe December. It was. I I know I, I know it was close to the September time frame that I got in the first time, but it wasn't in September. Um, so you came but, back in though, and you're you're counting, you know, drill weekend one, drill weekend two, mm -hmm. drill weekend three. Yeah. And I'll, let's just say it was December. So all all of a sudden you're at drill weekend eight, and it's the end of August. You did your August drill weekend. Say yeah. goodbye to everyone. And then that day in September happens a month a month and eleven days later. Whenever you guys drilled. Yeah. And whatever, all of a sudden, okay. the light switch went off and everything changed what oh, was going man. through your mind i was actually uh, i was actually working that night i had a, i had a i was a free i did i had a security job that i did and i was um it was more just to get out i think but i was working this job and like i was, I was listening to howard stern and uh, i was like holy fuck so um I just it freaked. So I was like, wow. So I'm, so I'm paying attention. And for, obviously did it, I did what everybody else did. I called the, I called the recruiting. I called back the, not the recruiting. I called the, the reserve station, right? I called Talega. Hey, what's going on? What's going to happen? What are we going to do? What, or, no, we weren't Talega anymore. We had already moved to, to Flores. Flores then. Yeah. So I called and they were like, uh, nothing yet. Just be on standby. We're going to hear you hear sooner, whatever. So, but of course I couldn't sleep, man. I just go back and I get my gear ready just in case. Because then it's, it just felt like, oh man, it's back to work, right? Back to work. And everything else just kind of I didn't focus on anything else. Just like everybody ask, else. Like, Let me ask you this. Was there a sense of excitement uh, from the Marine in you that maybe you're going to finally go get to do what you had been trained up to do? What, what, what was? Well, no, no, because I, cause, cause I had already put myself... I'd already been in an area where I execute, where I were, were hey, it, it executed a, a mission, right? I, I'd already, I already had a campaign, kind of. Now it's not anywhere near what you would think of, but it was still kind of like a campaign. So I didn't, I don't think I ever had that feeling like I, oh, I didn't do a job, but it was more of like, there's another job to do or like, Hey, you know, what just happened? And this is why I 
I sacrifice, right? This is why I, I do this. This is why I wanted to do that is because I want to be able to help when we need help, right? I want to be, I want to be a participant. Is that, I don't know if that's the yeah, right yeah, word. That, that makes sense. That you, I yeah. mean, I mean, I felt the same way on September 11th. Like, yeah. here I am in between enlistments and I'm, I'm a corpsman. That's what I do. Like everything that yeah. needed, that I knew that was going to unfold after that needed corpsman. And so, yeah, I feel you on that. So you you call down there, you wait to hear anything back. Nothing. They don't no, say don't anything. Think- they, they just said that they'll let the, they'll be in touch. We're, we're waiting to hear back and something like that. So, so did you long. drill that September? Man, I don't even remember. It's just like, it's like so long ago. I kind of know if uh, I, I almost want it like in my head, what I, in, in when I think back, what happened is like that happened. I went home, I cleaned my gear. I was waiting. And the next thing I know we were all at, we're all at Flores checking in. Like that's how it, that's how, quickly it feels to me but i'm pretty sure we didn't get mobilized until that january so did did lar kick but off we did go- but we did do drills so did you sense a change in yeah no i think they had the- already knew they knew it was coming like we'd already, they already gotten the word and i mean uh people don't realize but lar like fourth lar is probably the largest is the largest battalion in the Marine Corps. It's got like five or six companies. Yeah, I think they it went up the, to seven the when, biggest, I, when I was there. Yeah, so so they and 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 they they were so successful in Desert Storm, like in De- Desert Shield, Desert Storm. They remember the success rate of those that they knew that we were gonna we were gonna they were gonna be heavy. I think in the LAR community. So oh, okay. so like. I think we knew we were going to be mobilized by like November. But and did then, the, did the, uh, like when you went to drills, did it feel completely different? It did. There was just like a more seriousness in the air. There was like a more like, uh, uh, um, I think I actually had gotten pulled aside by, by, uh, I don't know if you remember Gunnery Sergeant Bemis. You remember Bemis? I, I think so. The name sounds super. <clears throat> he was an ops guy. He was in an S3. Active and, uh, or uh, reserve? He was active. It was active duty guy. Okay, so he no, was a, pro- he, was probably... S, he, he was in the S three. He was the operations chief. He was also he was also the wing. He was the uh, Alpha Company's master gunner. So, you know, I I don't think he was there when I was there, but the, the name sounds anyway, familiar. I think by you time you were there, he had already left and went to first LAR. Went back to went to first LAR. Oh, okay. But but uh, but anyway, he had pulled me aside and he said. Uh, He's like, he's like, hey, when this happens, he goes, uh, um, because I had still look at the, by this point, I still wasn't kind of like, I still kind of was not in the in crowd. Like, I think at this point, my peers realized the value and the asset they had when they had me around as far as training and, and, and understanding tactics. Like I didn't have all the great lingo anymore because I kind of rusty, but, but uh, I was always like, asked hey what do you think about this how do you think this goes but gunnery sergeant bemis actually i think at the time i was going to end up going in the in a logistics vehicle with with the company gunny and no offense to the company gunny but man i shoot move and communicate i'm not a logistics guy right right? i'm not i I don't know And, and part of that i knew was my fault because 
I purposely wouldn't adhere to the to the fourth LAR. You got to yell louder to be noticed, or you got to do this to be noticed, or whatever. I was fine being where I was. Um, <clears throat> but Gunny Bemis pulled me aside. And he says, "Man, you don't belong in the in in the log." He goes, "I need you. I need you with my." in my vehicle. So I, I, I got switched and I got put in with the, with the vehicle with Gunny Bemis and uh, some other guys. So I went back so into the, you got back into the, the infantry side, the scout yeah. side. Yeah. So, it felt good. It felt good for somebody to kind of go, Hey dude, what are you, just, no, come on. You don't belong over there. So 2001 ends. Um, does fourth LAR go to Afghanistan? No, we didn't go to Afghanistan, only Iraq. Yeah. So then for that next, what was it, year pretty much where mm -hmm. it was just drill, 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 prep, prep, drill, prep. Are we going to go yet? Are we going to go yet? Everybody was just kind of like. So when did you guys get the word that uh, you were being mobilized for Iraq? Like I said, I think it was, uh, I think we knew we were going to go the whole time. We just didn't know when. But I mean, like, when did you guys officially get mobilized? I want to say January, two thousand three. Yeah, just before we, just before the push, I and mean, we push what March, right? March. Yeah. So I I know that um, they split the battalion up. Yeah, they did. They split us up. We Alpha Company. I was with Alpha Company, and I ended up. We were with four. We were we were Alpha Company first. Lar is what they ended up putting us at. You guys didn't come until later, because we were at the initial push. So they pushed us out. So we deployed when first LER and everybody else went. Everyone we sat in. Yeah. Yeah. And then HS, <clears throat> we didn't meet up with HS until like halfway through the whole thing. See, I like, didn't get I didn't get to the unit until after you guys were back. I didn't get there until 2005. So I, I yeah. missed all of the push and all that. So tell me about yeah. that. You guys, you get the word that you're being mobilized. Tell your mom and dad, hey, I'm yeah. going off to war. Yeah. Were you married by then? No. Okay. So what no, happened? No, no, what, what what happened with that communication? Uh, if you're shoot, move, and communicate, how'd that communication go? How does it, I, it? Man, I'm the worst. Okay. I'm a good shoot, move, and communicator if I have like a, a radio and I'm, you know, talking to other Marines and squad members and higher echelon stuff but as far as communicating with family that doesn't usually happen as much so uh i think it was just hey looks like i'm going to be mobilized and uh i'll be in I'll, I'll write you guys here's the address to get to hold of me like i mean i, I wasn't even living in texas I, like i was still on my own in california right i just was wondering how did your parents react to the idea that you were about to go off to war or did you even let them know that much Oh no, I, I I did, and I'm I'm pretty sure they were they were nervous, they were uh, scared, worried. Yeah, yeah. But um, but uh, they didn't. Yeah, I mean, they, there was no. I mean, I don't know. I think they were upset and probably nervous. So okay, let's jump up here a little bit. So you, you guys integrate with uh, first LAR. Mm-hmm. What did you guys yeah. do that? At Camp Pendleton, or did you meet up with them over in Kuwait? No, no, we did that here, and then and we we just all deployed. They just flew Got us on all the together. Same. 
Yeah. So, and then we were all integrated at the, 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 what I can't even remember the name of the camp, the line of departure camp or whatever it was. Probably Virginia. We were, yeah. yeah. We were, we were always, we had just basically, they just said your first LAR alpha company. So let me and ask then, you this. How, how did that integration feel? Did you, did they kind of treat you guys different because you were reservists? Oh or? yeah, they did. I mean, we were always like, we didn't get any, like they just, uh, re- I don't know how to put it. They, uh, we were never the main, there was no main effort for us. They, uh, but we always got the longer, harder, uh, less, uh, less prestigious. I don't know. There was nothing to, I mean, it was, it was important. Obviously we all got really great missions, but, but I mean, like, how did did they, how did the Marines treat your Marines? Uh, see, that's the, that, see, that's the thing. It wasn't that kind of integration. We were our company, and we were just in their battalion. I mean, so, when, you, when you guys interacted, or did you? No, no, not at all. Like, we uh, we set up our, when we set up our area, we set up our area, and they were, each company was in their own area, and really, oh, okay. we did not interact, okay. really, with First LAR. Now, we did have some guys, like, sometimes they had to take some of our people and put them in another company or things like that but for marines i think at the time like that never changed like i think whenever we got an attachment or whatever that i think everybody there was like as far as like marine to marine or professional whatever it was pretty professional i think i think where it changes like i guess the the different changes in what mission assignments or what they think certain people were capable of i guess like the capabilities they were they were like oh well you guys have to do this mission vice this mission or we don't need you for this but we need you for that right Right. like that but again that could also just be man i know we can do this why aren't you putting us here right like yeah but who knows so let's go back to the line of departure you're there this isn't Somalia. This isn't no, pulling things this is, out. This no, man. This is reconning in an airfield in, in Rwanda. This is a supposedly uh, like what the third, the fifth or sixth biggest army in the world, uh, military in the world. They have aircraft. They have. Yeah. They can. They can shoot accurate artillery and accurate. Yeah. Uh, indirect fire. How's that last few? last few days hours before you guys get to go hmm. i don't know man i think it's like a it, it, it's it was just like a calm like a like a just like a calm there's no it's really it was really strange feeling right because you don't i, I didn't feel excited i didn't feel uh uh like there was no like a big adrenaline push it was just kind of like a steady calm like okay and go does that so yeah no yeah you hear what i'm saying you hear what i'm saying that your professionalism kicks in at that point in time yeah well i think i think the compartmentalizing that the military is so great at at uh um refining in us yeah just kicks in so then it's go time you guys mount yeah. up. We mount up and we go. And I, we're expecting. I mean, I think initially, you the the very beginning, we're expecting a lot, and then when the lot doesn't happen right away, you just kind of 
right. Just keep yeah. your keep your cool, and everybody does. Like, it, but uh, yeah, it was it was intense, man. Do you remember your first contact? Yeah, and it, the first con our first contact wasn't really, and it, it ended up not really kind of. It kind of just fizzled, right? Like the first contact, like uh, because I don't even know if it was contact. Like, I don't, we don't even know if it was really first contact because either we were so professional and we got them before they could do anything because uh, our toes fired on a couple of tanks. But again, from the distance and the thing and the reaction time that everybody had, it could have just been, they could have been empty. It could have yeah. been not attacking us, but we were just quicker on the draw. But other than that, it, it was kind of like a, we, we didn't really have any, intense anything until until after right until we started to to have to we stuck around longer and and we had to start dealing with the infrastructure issues and then all of this roadside bombing stuff started kicking in right like so this like is first like, yeah this was i mean like we had gotten we did our first in combat contact was at this outpost they called Comanche. And uh, we'd already gotten in, we'd already pulled in, we were already in Saddam. We were already in uh, uh, Baghdad, in a part of Baghdad, I think they called Saddam City or something. And we took over some manufacturing thing. And uh, our first contact was some kind of ambush that they tried to set up. That was the only serious like thing that I remember. And then after that, anything, everything, everything that was worse was after like supposedly after mission, the, after mission complete. Yeah, is when it really started to is when we lost people. Was like after that we had a guy, uh, and then it, and then it wasn't even really to enemy combat. He had, he had a vehicle accident, but it was pretty. I heard that after the uh, after the initial invasion, after the what was it cessation of major hostilities ended, that there were quite a few KIA or not KIAs, but fatalities that happened due to just being left amongst your own devices to do stupid shit. Yeah, yeah, possibly things so, like that. But but again, like I said, the, the first real contact was at Comanche, and uh, it was an ambush set up. It hit one of our squads. Nobody was injured, but it was the first time that I think our company dealt death, right? Like the first so, time. That, so were you involved with uh, with that? Well, I mean, it was, all, it was contact. So we just, you react. So everybody shoots back. But the, the, real, the, the real person involved in that is got to be the gunners from the for the LAV 25s because they're the guys that were shooting into the buildings right like we were just on the outside kind of covering stuff but um and man I, that that gun can deal crazy stuff man that gun that the 25 millimeter cannon is crazy yeah on the, the effects it can have on things but that was it i think for for that and then uh and then most of our gunners are the ones that got all the action like the the 25 gunners like for us it was very the scouts we were just i think we were put in a lot of like scary positions <laughs> but we, but 
but for the most part it was the it was the it was the gunners it was the 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 lav 25 for our battalion was definitely the the hero i mean the people that it kept people alive and it kept people safe like that the the people that did um the vehicle commanders and and gunners that engaged those guys kept everybody safe man yeah those guys have been the it seemed to do really good during, you know, force on force. Mm-hmm. I did hear some stuff later in the war when it became IEDs and insurgencies that there yeah. is some problems. But force yeah. on force, it seems like it was a, I mean, I remember but, writing those things and felt comfortable. But, but really, like, I think back on some of our missions where we were really, in, we were really, really lucky, I think. We did really well. We had, it was a, we did, we had good guys, I think. So, so you did that. You guys, capital secured, Saddam's on the run. Mm -hmm. We do the big mission accomplished thing. Yeah, but we're ready to come back because I remember, like, I remember we were sitting in Diwania and the battalion commander for first LAR standing up on the stage telling everybody, good job. Uh, we're gonna start packing our gear. We're gonna start heading back south to the border, and everybody's like, "Yeah!" And then the company commander coming over and saying, "Hey guys, everybody, come here. We're gonna go meet up with the rest of our battalion that just got here a few months ago. <laughs> we're gonna be extended." So, uh, how long did you guys we, end up doing? I don't remember. I don't think it was a full year, but we were there for a while. Um, because from from that Diwania was with, when they ended it, supposedly. Because I remember there, yeah. I was gonna say I remember I when I got home when or when I got home when I got to Fourth LAR, there was still three or four guys on Medhold that were from your deployment. Yeah, it's possible. We we were there for a while. Um, I don't, I, I, won't, I don't want to say it was a full year though. But that's when it got crazy is after that is when it got worse. So you were part of like the SASO security, uh, security stabilization operations. Yeah. Yeah, We did. We did a lot of that. We were, they moved us to Al-Qut and then from Al-Qut, we went to um, Al-Halam where the, you know, uh, the Babylon place was. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then, and then from there, we finally end up at some army logistics and hospital, uh, some army base. They had an army hospital and uh, some other army unit. And then we were doing, that's what we were, they had us patrolling this, the little triangle area between, um, what was it, Lucifia and some other, there was like a little area. Were you guys out was there? Because like, I remember someone telling me that they were out by the uh, Iranian border from the US. Yes. I actually have a picture of that. Our, uh, uh, our vehicle and and our wingman vehicle went all the way to the Syrian border, and we sat out there. And it, like literally, it was like a, just a big empty lot. Except what was weird, we did come up upon this one little shack, and it had a mom and her puppies, which was really interesting in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, weird. Wild wild dogs in the middle of nowhere in this some empty shack that was like I mean it was falling apart, but. Damn. 
there was nothing out there though. We weren't, there was nothing out that we just kind of sat in the desert for like two or three days. So then what happened after you guys did that? Did you guys come back home after that? Yeah, we came back home. And then by this time, yeah, we came back home. Um, obviously to the heroes welcome that everybody got back to. Yeah. So you guys flew back, came home. Do you go back into drill status or did you stay on active duty for a little bit longer? I, I stayed on active duty a little bit longer and then, and then I went back to drill status. Um, but see what, but, but by this time, like I didn't have dog training anymore. And um, so I, what I did was I just like, I came back and I tried to start working again and it just wasn't working out. I wasn't getting there. And then they needed help at the battalion still. So I stayed on active duty a little bit longer. And then that little bit longer turned into another deployment. Um, and then that deployment turned into another little bit longer of active duty. And then finally, I just stayed on active duty the whole time. So when did you, when did you redeploy again? I redeployed in 2005. Where'd you go? Oh, we just did a, we did a Unitas down in South America. Oh, okay. That's what you were talking about when you went down to yeah. South America. And that, that was actually a super, that, that I did a, Across the Panama Canal, which was one of the things I had always wanted to do while I was in the Marine Corps, and I never thought I was going to be able to do it. So wait, you did it on a ship. I did it on a ship, nice. uh, the USS Tortuga. I know that ship. That's a. Yeah, LS, it's, a uh, it's a Gator freighter. It's a Gator freighter. Yeah, it's a new uh, one of the new Antonio San Antonio class. Yeah. Okay, that's why it sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So you. Me and a mutual friend of ours, Max, were all at Fourth LAR for a brief period of time together. Then 2005, for me, I got there February 2005. Left um, May 2006 to deploy. Mm-hmm. And you know, obviously, you know Max, who had been there. Yeah. I think about a year before I did. Yeah. So that's really where we got to know each other. Yeah, you and Max. Me, you, and Max, because we yes. were all, all three of us were in Alpha Company. I, I was with Weapons, mm-hmm. and I yeah. think you, you and Max did a lot when we went up to where did we go in we'll Wisconsin? See, that we'll see, but, shit on Wisconsin. Yes, uh, Hunter Liggett. No, 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 that's in California. The oh, one in Wisconsin where we uh, oh, it just rained the whole time. Yeah, and one of your guys, I think it was, I think it was one of Alpha Company's guys within like an hour of being there, freaking cut his hand open. Uh, with his knife, but it was uh, it was either Wisconsin or Minnesota, but it was one of those crappy long ATs. Oh, but you didn't. Go- but and then we did, yeah. But then we, we did get to do the. Uh, but they took us to that water slide part, right? Yes, I think so. Yeah. No, see, no, see, that was our liberty was in Wisconsin. That we we actually were training it in. At that time, we had trained. Uh, we were training at Fort Knox. No, it was in Fort Knox. Fort Knox is in Kentucky. That's a long ways to go for Liberty in Wisconsin. Was it? Yeah. I don't even I don't remember, remember exactly was, where man. it was, but it was up that way. It was up either Minnesota or, or Wisconsin. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll I'll hey, my memory's as good as yours. So uh, I will I will uh, I will yes. Somebody will correct us eventually. Yes. Uh, one of one of our friends will see this and be like, "No." Um and that's also where one of our other people that we have a mutual common friend in, in Carlos. Yeah, Carlos. Was also yeah. with well, us. Well, me and Carlos are roommates for forever. 
Matt Forth Elia. Oh, okay. Cause he was on, he was, he had, he had, uh, he had suffered an injury. And was, okay. So he was one of the med hold guys. He was one of the med hold guys. Yeah. Okay. And, so. and then I was, I was at, at the, and then I ended up working for ops. That's, that's how I stated I was in the S3. By that See? time I was in the S3 because Max wasn't in alpha company. Max was in H and S. Was it not? Because yeah. it was Jim, me, Max, and Martinez. Or was it just Max like to spend all of his time? Uh, we will have a we will have an <laughs> offline conversation about Max. <laughs> and I don't think it was that like he was in H and S all the time either. Um, no. <laughs> I, I still haven't even told him about this podcast yet. <laughs> like about the whole show. No, no. Oh, but, he's gonna love it. He's gonna love getting on this one. Yeah, he will. Um, so he, not he. So you stay around. We meet. We, you, yeah. you know, we're not like best of friends or anything, but we know each other. I go on active duty in, I want to say it was almost a full year. So probably May of 2005. I don't know yeah. if you remember Chief Pineda. He was the INI corpsman. Yeah. He yeah, I remember Chief Pineda, yeah. And um, so I'm doing. I'm doing double duty. I'm doing active duty support for the battalion, going to all the meetings, which is hilarious as an E4 briefing the CG for fourth Marine division on medical readiness for fourth LAR. Um, but then on the drill weekends, I'm doing stuff with the company. That's exactly that. That's we're doing the same thing. Yeah. You remember, cause I'm in the S3 working with uh i think at the time gunny bemis was the if not bemis it was uh it, it was a new it was, master gunner it was a new master gunnery sergeant. well there was also um, gunny johnson or jackson who was there he was on med hold for a while bald-headed guy kind of short and then there was a really tall guy that was like his buddy both of them gunnies or staff or actually no one was a staff sergeant, oh, one was a gunny yeah. I cannot remember their names for the life of me gunny williams yes yeah and uh and staff sergeant alexander was it Maybe. Alexander? No. Was he there on that hold? I don't know. Or it might have. Well, okay. Yeah. Yes. But, but no, yeah. we, yeah, we were there on active duty. I'm, I'm working in the S3. And then during drill weekend, I go back to Alpha Company. Yeah. So. Hey, I, and you know, most people, they're told um, once, you, once you're on active duty, you don't have to do the drill weekends. No, that's not how it works. No, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not how it works. Well, no, because, look, because, because I, what I, my goal there was actually to try to get Alpha Company to, to, to you know, get some good training stuff set up yeah. because I could be there all week and have that done and then be able to go back to the company. And it, it worked for a while. Like well, it, and, it, really, and my, it was a really good. My, my deal with, uh, with Raphael was if I do this ADSW, I get the next LAR deployment, which would have been Bravo Company. But we will get into that shit show in another episode because those guys yeah, were fucktards to say the least. Yeah. Um, which you probably actually heard some of the stuff about if you were there, well, no, you were already gone by 2007, but if you were there in training during 2007, when they mobilized, you would have heard about their shit show. But that was for they, when they went to Afghanistan, right? No, this was for when Bravo company went to Iraq to do the boat teams. They, they took, Oh, and the oh, shit show wow. that that turned out to be as far as training in Lejeune, which I'm glad I got away from before someone died. Mm. Um, but so we do that. I obviously do my thing. Oh, wait, you know what? I remember, I, I think I was, I, I, 
I was actually, I might have still been there then. I think I remember that Bravo company thing. Because yeah, like I some, actually, I think some I of their command got had, relieved. But I had actually said that I, I wanted to do that because I was in a small, had been in a small boat company before. Yeah, they were but, doing the riverine. But ops. they, but they didn't, but uh, that was a no go. Like I also, I also, um, I got, I got a lot of alpha company guys trained on like some super high speed training so that they can go be PSD because I wanted to do that too. But then the battalion was like, Oh no, no, you can't go because we need you here, but you can send all these other guys. Yeah. So. I, I think I remember that. Uh, Cause I, I do want to say, I remember that one of the companies got an opportunity to do some, uh, I can't think of the technical word, but like the tactical or defensive driving courses. Yep. The Griffin course. I set that one up. Yeah. That was in Florida. So you yeah. leave LAR yeah. as a reserve. I was like, I was like, I thought to myself, hey, I'll be in the S3. Maybe I can get myself into schools too, plus Alpha Company guys. But that it never happens out. that way. No, it never works out that way. Because <laughs> I tried to I tried to get some people some uh, some C schools for the corpsman and thinking if I can if way. I can have these little holes. I got Max Jump School. Yes. And I'm, and I really thought that was going to open the door for me to go before I deployed. No, but no, nope. no, nope. no, it never works out. I that mean, way. like I, I really tried to finagle my way into 18 Delta. They're like only recon yeah. guys. I'm like, well, we're fourth light armored recon. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> those two words are not synonymous. No, they're not. <laughs> um, light armored recon. So yeah, you go off and do this Unitas. How was that experience? That was a pretty, that was pretty cool, man. I, I, but you know, I had missed, look, you know what the greatest thing about doing that Unitas for me was, was getting guys, getting Marines to experience what it's like to do a deployment on a ship. Like, see, that's so see, rare for reserves. See, like, ah, oh, and, and, and for even for like, at the time for regular Marines, like guys that had the four year guys, very rare at that time were doing Westpacs. They were doing oh, that's right. Games. Cause they were all getting they, kicked they over. They were to... all just going to either Afghanistan or Iraq, right. Yeah. Flyovers or whatever. The, the very few units were doing the, you know, any kind of Westpac or med pack or any pack. Um, so that experience of, of, getting these guys in a burden area and showing them how to keep it clean. I, I, it was just like super, like, cause I was like, see, this is part of the Marine Corps. Like this is part of the Marine Corps that people were missing the, yeah. the and, general and that's, quarters. <laughs> that's why I, I keep up with some of the military, with some of the Marine stuff, more of the Navy stuff. But I do know that there's a push back to sea for the Marines right now. I hope so. Like, cause if not, they're going to think they're going to start to like, I also, it's, it's got to be a pushback to see as well. Like, because I'm worried that they're just going to want to push, they're going to want to turn just the Marines into just another part of the army. No, I hope and, not. But and, you know, you know, what's really scary though, or maybe not scary, scary is probably not the right word, but as of right now in the Marine Corps reserves, you know what the, uh, the heavily, the most heavy armored vehicle is? In the res reserves? Yeah. Yeah, a tank, isn't it? We still have tanks. They're reserve LAVs. tank unit. Nope. Oh, they really? have decommissioned all the tank units, and they're decommissioning all the active duty tank units. Oh wow! So the LAVs are going to be the big guns now, which is well, weird. Why are they so? It's, it's it, I 
it's a pretty it, i actually was pretty impressed with the vehicle's performance i mean it's, well, i've you never were there seen when, i was gonna say you were there when they had the ad's right the air defense variants mm -hmm. the air defense variant which was super cool did you guys take them with you on a no no we didn't take them with us oh, okay they had already they had already they were already like getting rid of them like we only took we had we had mortars uh anti-tank and uh, 25 and okay. then obviously logistics and c squares but so you do you get back from this unitas are you still in california at this point in time or have you yes no still in california uh i get back from the unitas and that's when uh from that from there after that i go to that's I go to SOI West. So at what point in time and, did you go from USMCR to back to active duty? Oh, that at the end of that Unitas, but no, I wasn't, I was still just a reserve. Oh, you were just picking like, up orders. Uh, they were just, they were just, yeah. They just kept feeding me orders. Like, Hey, we have another here. Like, put you on for another year. We're going to put you on for another year. Okay. Um, well, at, at this point, like, at that point, I didn't have I didn't have a business anymore, right? Like, I, I mean, I I was I had started word of mouth, and and all my clientele was just based off of referrals, but I was doing well. But I hadn't started trading the next person, so I hadn't started taking somebody else and saying, "Hey, these are all the things that I've learned. These are all the techniques that I want to employ. Let me show you how to do it. So in case we can have, I can get another. I got, just even because it was getting to the point where I was. I was training like three dogs a day. No, know? that makes so, total sense. So, uh, and and if you look at if you look at Looking Glass or any of these other ones, and it tells you what the average pay for a dog trainer is, it's going to say somewhere between like twenty fifteen to twenty five. Don't let that fool you because it's a service job. It's the same as it says for a massage therapist, right? Right. Right. It's like it says for. The service thing because it's a service job and people pay you in cash sometimes so <laughs> so you now now you're but yeah back where you so, started basically so i'm at i'm at yeah so by that point when they go hey do you want to stay on orders longer i'm like yes because the thought of going back out there and trying to rebuild this whole thing again at that point was like ah, it's just not going to work i might as well just stay here because I've at that point I've had already accumulated so much active duty time. Because you were that, what, like that in twelve years at that point in time. Yeah, so that so sanctuary is is a is a very uh, possible thing, right? So like super easy if I can get to there. And I just keep thinking, well, if I just keep working hard, it'll happen. So like here I am, a staff sergeant as an operations chief that at a training battalion in S at SOI because my former boss was the ops chief at fourth LAR says, no, no, I want him to come over here and work because he's a master gunnery sergeant, right? So I was able to get orders to go there. And then after that, then the division goes, Hey, well, we need, we need like a shit hot staff NCO to work as a liaison between fourth LAR and first or fourth Marine division and first Marine division. Um, because we were still rotating a lot of guys, right? Reserve guys were coming in and going and piecemealing. Give me one, Tom, can you? Yeah. Yes, son. Can you come over here? Sure. Well, hold on, I'm almost done, okay? One second. 
Hey, let me let me pause you for a second. Tom. All right, we're gonna. I'm, I'm gonna pause this for a second. I'm gonna go. Okay. Do something real quick. Yeah. See, I think I need to get the 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 better zoom so I can record. Um, you should be able to record off the uh, goddamn train. You should be able to record okay. off of the the laptop. Yeah. You know, I'm, not, I, I'm not on uh I'm not on any paid account. Oh, you're not? No. Cool. How are we how do we go for two hours already? Because two people, um, there's no limit. Oh, that's right. If it's a group. If it's yeah, yeah. if it's a group. So anyway. but, all right, so let's uh so so yeah, so I decide that uh, they keep feeding me orders, so I decide to just take them because it's just easier and i was close enough to the thing i thought well at least so i thought but uh, long story short i retired so yeah you reserve retired or retired retired or medically Res retired no no reserve retired okay so you did get your 20 yeah, yeah. okay reserve retired they get the yeah so how long did you stay in <laughs> california after you got out oh man let's see I got out, I see that was in 2012. Yeah. Okay. So I went from SOI first Marine division. Um, uh, and then, and then I left, I retired out of uh, the one math. So oh. I was, I was a training chief for one math. Um, and you never got gunny. No, no. But you know what? Part of that is, like I said, uh, one of the things I picked up from the guys that first like had their way that first like you know grinded me into the, the marine that I was in was that never never hold your tongue for things that you don't have to like right you know what I mean like well, so I, mean, I, I just I, think I just don't think I ever I, I never let my uh lack of rank stop me from the jobs I did does that make sense no it right? absolutely does yeah. and the reason why I'm like not. I always wish I always wish that my rank would have matched some of my jobs but other people you know I, I mean I, I've I've had my share I would of, say I was saying that kind of jokingly because I also know that with the reserves it's a it's more so of a really sharp pyramid after staff sergeant because yeah. if you're if you're uh, a buddy of mine is a parachute rigger, him and one of his closest friends are both gunnies. There is the final rank that you can achieve in the uh, active reserve. So the F, the uh, AR guys yeah. for that MOS is master sergeant, and there's oh, wow. only one between the parachute riggers. And, and like one. two other logistics MOSs. <laughs> oh, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. So it's like that pyramid gets really sharp. So, oh, no, that's Tommy. I, I mean, it's, that's not what happened with me. What happened with hey, me I'm is, trying to give is, you, is I'm trying to blow you up. A oh, little bit. I know. Yeah. Thank you. But no, I, I mean, look, I don't regret any of the choices or decisions I've ever made. No, before. I mean, and you, you've, yeah. had, you've done really good for yourself. So let's get yeah. to where you've done really good for yourself. Because the first part yeah. of this. This, this whole thing is always, I want to introduce the world to who Joe was. Yeah. And now that you're retired Joe or former Marine Joe, let's talk about what you did after you got out. Oh so, man. I'm still like, I, I, I'm still me. I think I'm, I'm still that same Marine. But I think you but, also, have, but, but here's you also have a different identity too. Yes. Yes. Well, you know what I realized is that I, I've been able to adapt finally. I think that's what happened. 
Okay. So remember how I, like my first time I got out, right? I said, I didn't, it wasn't, I didn't have a lot of problems, but there was a reason for that. Like I actually had a dog before I left and I got into dog training and I think the dog training was able to, was, was allowed me to kind of reconnect with civilians that without that dog being there, I would have suffered more. Like was, I, I was this for your, your first or this my second? first and okay. my first time getting out because I got out and I was pretty successful. And I, I attribute that to the path that I took, which were the dogs. Like the dogs really allowed me to bridge this gap um, between my culture as a Marine and a civilian culture, right? That clash, that, that like that, that we, we, it's really just a lack of understanding that we're, that we're still the same, but just different. Exactly. And I said, I know that doesn't make any sense. No, no, it it absolutely does. (laughs) But uh, it was able to chink that armor in mind, right? Because, uh, because you always hear it before, right? Oh, civilians are this, civilians are that. No, they're not. They're just civilians, (laughs) right? So, and I'm, and I'm not, and I don't think I ever will be, but that first time, I think the dogs helped me bridge that gap. It allowed civilians to penetrate the armor because I was like, Hey, look, this person has a super cool dog. They must be kind of cool too. Right. I like this kind of dog. I'm going to train it. I'm going to help you. But it it allowed me to open up. Like it, 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 I was able to build relationships because of the dog. Like if I didn't have that job, I think I'd have been just like any other veteran that got out i'd have been a little bit disgruntled at first um probably found a dead-end job that i really didn't like but i'd put my nose to the grindstone because i don't want to deal with anybody but i didn't i picked dogs and dogs actually make me interact with people and realize that hey yeah he's different but he he doesn't you know maybe he doesn't have the same honor courage commitment level of importance that i do but that doesn't mean that he doesn't have honor courage and commitment for whatever his level is you know what i mean like yeah, absolutely. it was able to it was able to to for me to connect and realize hey yeah they're, they're different but still the same right we all have families we all love things we all do this and i was only able to do that when i worked with those dogs so fast forward this next time i get out I think it's like, that's uh, bullshit, right? I don't even get back into dogs. I start work, I start trying to go to school and I want to have a business, right? So I'm struggling big time, right? Because I'm just having a hard time, right? Like, a, like a, I didn't want to get out in the first place. Even I mean, even though I retired, I didn't want to retire, right? I, I wanted to pursue this. Like I, I still had time. I still had stuff to offer and circumstances the, the Marine Corps changes and things like that, right? Didn't allow that. So part of me was bitter too, right? Like me, God damn it. I gave all my life more of my, by this time, more of my adult life was a Marine than it wasn't. So I was struggling, but it didn't hit me to just go back to what I knew. So um, uh, I think my wife, by this time I had, found somebody got married okay okay yeah 
So she was like, we got to figure something out. And I think she said, hey, one of my clients has a puppy. Do you want to help them train it? And, I, and my initial response was like, fuck, no, I don't want to be around a civilian. <laughs> <laughs> that was my first thought, I swear. She goes, but look at the picture. And it was an English bull. It was like an English bulldog. It was a French bulldog. And I was like, oh, man. All right, I'll train it. But it was the dog. The dog drew me. Like when she said, you want to train this person, this civilian friend, dog you're not doing anything you look miserable right like so but my first response was no i don't want to train some i don't want to help some civilian train their dog yeah. no I, I right yeah but when she showed me the dog the dog drew me in and then i went in and, and that's it took off again so i started training her dog then i trained another dog and then another one and then i started to realize like holy crap this is what's going on so like school started to get better. My relationship with Megan started to get better. Like, the, you know what I mean? Like working with the dog started to help again. It started to focus more. And then I realized like, oh, wait, I don't want to just be a business guy because then also I took a horticulture lab. I was like, ah, you know what? Let me try something else, right? The dogs are working and that's what spun off. I just realized, oh man, I just need to go back to doing the things that I want to do. So were you out in true. California at this time? I was still in California. Yeah, I was uh, um, still in Southern California. Started training more dogs. I, I only, I, and, and here's the funny thing is I only had like maybe five clients at this point, but it were five really, really good clients. Um, uh, two of them all, I mean, at this point, their dogs were trained. Like they were well-trained, but they had, but I had built the relationship and the care for the, your animals in a way that, they didn't want me to stop like they wanted to learn more so i just kept them on and then i did school because then i was like oh well, i want to learn more about this farming thing that i was starting to to learn about so let's so. get into so this is what 2012 13 14 ish yeah 12 13 14 so you do this horticulture study you've now from conversations that you and i have had uh, on our group chat I've yeah. had um, some real interest in farming. Yes, absolutely. And, and like, some okay. ideas. Yeah. Okay. So what it started out like, and then here's what, what ended up happening is I was in school to learn the landscape design and horticulture and all that. I was still pursuing um, my initial, like when I had that, the, when the click about the dogs happened. Um, and I think what happened was, another one of our well, or another one of my marine friends had committed suicide or something and i was just like it was just a really low point and i was just trying to figure out like what the hell and then i just thought about how the first time happened when i started to train the dogs and it helped me and then how this last time when the she like i and, and she had already given me the ultimatum so i was already going to the vet center i was already taking you know SSRI stuff. I was already so doing depression work. Were you going through some PTSD or more depression? I don't know, man. I have no idea. I have some PTSD from certain things that, and, and you know, and a lot of depression. But, but yeah, they were they were they were, you know, I was I was on the whole thing, and I was I was doing some you know CPT combat, you know, the the uh, cognitive cognitive, cognitive processing therapy, yeah. therapy and all that so i mean i was because she had given me that 
ultimatum. She's like, you, you drink too much. You're too quick to get angry. I don't know what the hell is going on, you know, and you need to figure something out. So I was doing that, but it's still, it, it was helping me here at home sort of, but it wasn't helping me reconnect. Right. It wasn't helping me grow um, relationships. It wasn't helping me be a good, a good team member. Right. I wasn't participating. I didn't want to be around people. Right. Right. And, and, but then when the dogs came back, everything changed. Like I started to train my wife's client's dog and then I trained another dog and then another dog. And next thing I know, I'm actually talking to people in school with me. I'm, I'm actually interacting more with the professors. I'm actually like, you know what I mean? Like the dogs helped me drag this out, like help me reconnect and feel like, Oh, well, um, and then, and then um, the horticulture really kind of felt like a healing process, like getting my hands in the dirt and working in the greenhouse and stuff like that. So then I, but at the time I was working on this transitional work program idea that I had with dog training. So the idea was I do like a, a dog training center. Um, I bring on newly transitioned veterans, whether they're combat veterans or not. I didn't, it, 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 at this point, it didn't matter because for me, it's a transition. Like, I don't think, I think a lot of our problems as far as the veteran community, suicide, homelessness, the job rates, all those things, I think have more to do with transitional issues and cultural issues than it has to do with combat. Because if you look, because, because if you look at it, some of the guys that commit suicide or some of the guys that live on the streets, or some of the guys that do that, they're not even necessarily combat veterans. Do you know what I mean? They're right. just veterans. They're just guys that, that did their time and came out and just for whatever reason couldn't couldn't adapt or couldn't find a new mission, right? right. Or they couldn't find relationships. And that's where the problem is, right? Is building those relationships. And then I think a lot of us are too proud to reach out to our other service brothers who are doing well because we think they're doing well or we think that they're adjusting properly but really we're just really good at showing a good side exactly right? that's i mean that's what we're experts at and i mean i know yeah. i went through that and... Com- the compartmentalizing yeah is what they, they trained us to do like oh i have this thing you know what i'm really good at just that i just shove it to the side yeah right um everything's fine or we'll just be like i don't know why everybody's pissed off i'm totally fine you know what I mean? Exactly. So, but so I started to do that, this transitional work program, utilizing a dog training center. And the idea was to show these, give, give guys a job with the basic training skills. And they just kind of train civilian dogs. So we bring civilian people that want to pay for dog training because, because regardless, of, I think if we, if we're working with other veterans in a, in a thing and our clients are civilian, well, we can kind of still be ourselves with each other. So we have a better, so like, we're not worried about, oh man, I can't work with that guy. He's a lazy civilian. Yeah. Right. No, you're not. You're working with fucking corporal so-and-so. <laughs> he was with first Marines or something, right. Or with, you know, whatever. Um, and then as they start to train other people's dogs, that just the idea of that interaction is what's going to change. It's the dog diffuses that which is why they have ptsd dogs now right they're just a they're a they're a distractor is basically what they do 
So now that you you were doing that, and I'm assuming that, yeah. that that was still in California. Yes, but what I realized was that California was going to cost too much. But what ended up happening was me and Max reconnected um, through David Rothenbuehler, and uh, who, who was a gentleman I met through the South Orange County Vet Center, because I did start taking my treatment more seriously too, right? Like, uh, because yes, there is a lot of emotional and and a lot of psychological stuff that i need to work on still right whether it's due to combat transition childhood it all goes together now i mean when you realize it when now as as i progressed and start to see things like my whole life has an effect like there's you know maybe in my head i don't feel that anything i did or saw in combat because affected me like or is like oh why would that have affected me or in my head it doesn't seem like it's a big deal but that probably because of some of the stuff that i've seen in my childhood make some of that stuff seem normal but really it's not right or you know what i mean like yeah exactly um so so i met this guy and he has a nonprofit, and then somehow me and max reconnected and he was doing soap he was still doing his soap and you and him were doing the soap and then I was like, hey, well, let me introduce you to David. And then so we connected and then we started working side by side together, him doing his soap thing and me still working on my dog training. Your dog things. Yeah. And then what I realized was like, Max, why don't we just do this together? Like, because I thought you have an actual product. Like me, I'm selling an idea, right? right. So for me to create a revenue stream on the idea is harder than for us to build a product that's got a great mission as well. And then, it, and then also I just thought, well, shoot, if the whole thing is to empower veterans to be owner operators, I know initially it's owner operators of a Maxwell soap kind of thing, but why not which, just by the expand way, the shirt that? You're wearing. Yeah. But which by the way, why it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to empower somebody to do what we're doing as a soap company, we can empower them in a way that they can help us grow as a soap company, but it's also expand and, and, and grow them and what their endeavors are, right? Like whatever their mission is. And I think it's just a, so I thought, well, let's just do this together. Like, cause you've kind of become the business side of Maxwell soap and kind of put your, your dog thing a little bit on the back burner. But what I'm curious about is at what point in time did you, what year did you leave California? We left uh, two, in 2018. Okay, so fairly recently. Yeah, oh. yeah. Uh, July, I think we moved. We uh, we bought bought a house in Texas, online. My dad actually, my my dad actually came out and he walked through with the inspector. Um, and and so far everything that he said, he goes, ah, oh, you need to make sure to look into that. So far everything that my dad said, hey. You probably need to fix that. I need to fix. Yeah, I need to fix. So, so do you have land out there or are you just uh no, no, not okay. yet. No, but but here's the great thing is like so I came out here because like for my mission for my project, the dog training center urban farm in California, even with the product like Max's, which is I think is great. And and now that I'm part of it, I think it's, it's I mean, really is a, is a it could be a driving factor for all of us to be successful and all of our missions that are kind of come together with max for this um 
because it's, I think it's just a great product to drive, you know, because it's an actual product. Most of us have idea, an idea thing, right? Like, so I thought we still get more bang for our buck if I come to Texas, because I had this one thing when I was doing the dog and and we were actually working, I was working with somebody and we're looking at going ahead and getting a location. But this location was going to be like, it was, it was like three, a three, uh, like a three acre lot. Now location was big for, for me, right? I was really wanting to do like, which is probably, I could have settled for less, but this three acre lot was going to be like $9 million. <laughs> right. But it would have been a great spot because I, we would have been able to take advantage of a, a, a very, uh, patriotic kind of area a very upscale kind of area and like it would have paid premium for dog training right so it, it might not have it up front still would have been a lot but i think we would have recouped quicker right but so give, me, give me a favor real then, quick go ahead okay i was just gonna ask you had mentioned urban farm so what is an urban farm okay uh well an urban farm is just it's normally uh it's normally not a big production. It, it, I mean, it, it can produce a lot of produce, but it's normally not a big farm. It's not going to, you're not going to see uh, uh, corn, wheat, uh, you know, any of the commodities grown. It's going to be a lot of uh, organic produce, smaller produce that people can buy. And it's usually in a smaller area. So in a, in a more urbanized area. So you're going to find it within city limits. Is that like community right? gardens? kind of like a community garden, but it is, like I said, you're producing more produce, right? Like it's not just a a community garden would be like you set up some plots and then people come out and they'll just grow what they want on their little area. An urban farm is literally, it's a producing farm in an urban area and then has a farm stand where people can come and buy produce or they can come and uh, uh, do like a you pick. They can pick their own produce, right? Okay. Um, and normally what, like, like the way I got into that was like, a, uh, like I said, I got into the horticulture and then, which was just growing plants, right? It's just growing plants. doesn't necessarily have to be edibles or whatever, but then, uh, they offered an urban farming course and, and I was like, well, I want to take that. So I took that and I listened to a gentleman called Ron Finley speak. It was a Ted talk. And it kind of spoke out to me back from my childhood, thinking about like growing up in the in in the in a lower income area, right? Kind of like a food desert. And urban farms are hopefully a solution for for food deserts, which just means a food desert is just an area that has not as easily access to grown foods, right? right? right. Food that, that you grow. I'm seeing a trend going on with a, a certain subset of veterans that really are looking to the outdoors to be a way of healing and this seems to be a big thing with the urban farms and in that just seeing it being getting back to the basics going out in nature helps a lot well can i can i can i uh can i bring us back to because look man uh it i'm a big movie guy right hollywood man hollywood marine but big movie guy so to steal a line that's appropriate. I think it has to do with the duality of man for veterans, right? Like for me, particularly, I think, man, I spent the majority of my life learning how to 
blow stuff up, shoot things, like destroy. Like, what, what, I mean, what's the mission of a Marine Corps rifle squad? Locate, close with, and to destroy the enemy and his will to fight, right? Right. So, so when I started to like grow and nurture things, right, which is the exact opposite of what you're trained to do, right? Like, I'm, I mean, I'm trained to like blow stuff up, take things down, like, right? Get things out of your way, dig them up, move them out. So when, so the exact opposite of that, to watch something grow and nurture it into something. And then, and then initially that was just enough, right? Oh man, look how I didn't kill this succulent. Yeah, nobody kills a succulent. But anyway, I was able to grow it. Look at it, it's cool. <laughs> Then when you get to the point where you can, oh man, I just grew this and now I can take some of it and it will nurture not just my body, but I can share it and nurture someone else. That's a powerful thing, man. That's almost like, it's almost a bigger high than knowing that I can, you know, that, that I know how much C4 to plant to blow up a building, right? Like, right it's like super cool to be able to just do the exact opposite. And now I know that I can do both. So somewhere along the line, um, and we really didn't touch on it, but somewhere along the line between you getting out and moving back to Texas, you had kids. Three kids. How much <laughs> did that um, play into you changing your life from being bitter to really starting to take in all of this horticulture, farming, reconnecting with Max and really oh, taking man. off see, with the soap. See, man, this is, that's just the hard part, man. See, that's the hard part is that, is that I, I, I know what I knew I was doing the things that was required, right? I was doing the things that I knew was going to make things better for my family. But didn't necessarily mean I was fun to be around or I was a joy. Right. Right. Like, so, so yes, like I didn't off myself because I had a wife and kid because I love them and I knew that it would suffer them. Right. But there were times when I thought, holy crap, look at the shitty stuff that I do. Maybe I'm just making them suffer. Right. Like the, yeah, they're going to be hurtful if I'm not there, but maybe what I'm doing now is not as good. So, so I was here and, and I was alive for them, but I wasn't doing them any favors until I got back into this other stuff. So, it, so the kids, like, so the kids kept me alive and it kept me providing for them and it kept me, you know, working hard to do, to, to, to pay the bills or to do the next thing, right. To do what's appropriate, but it wasn't changing my, uh, I don't know how to put it and I, I I wasn't I wasn't working on my own progression though like I wasn't I wasn't healing myself right right, right? it no, wasn't so. until I started again I started working with the dogs again and then I started to grow stuff and then I started to like to to then I started to nurture not just that but then I started to realize oh man I got to nurture more than just these plants look what I'm not I'm not nurturing the kids now I need to give them more love more sunshine more attention you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it just had all this crazy positive effects. So, so I use the uh, word primal skills a lot. Um, and I feel like 
it's an important tool for veterans to use to, to go back to some really primal skills, farming, uh, playing with animals, hunting, fishing, being out in nature, being mm -hmm. able to take care of yourself the best that you can with the minimum tools at your hands. Do you think that what your project is, is going to give some of these veterans some good primal skills that they'll be able to reconnect to basically the same way you have? Oh, absolutely, man. I, I look, I, I really think like, and, and look, even if it's like, uh, uh, I know, I, I know the CDC is running some kind of longevity study about what the effects of dogs have on your, uh, uh, basically what they're trying to figure out is what is the optimum amount of exposure time to get the maximum benefits of the dogs, right? Like, because they, they, they uh, Europe and some other people have done some studies. Like if you, if you sit and you pet your dog for 15 minutes, you'll release uh, your body and the dog's body release as much serotonin as if, uh, as if uh, um, serotonin to connect into your body. It's a stress relieves. It's just as if it was a, a mom breastfeeding their kid. Like it's, oh, wow. it's that powerful, wow. but they're trying to figure out the other stuff, which is positive effect, some other things, which is just a fancy way of saying they make you feel good. Right. Yeah. Like, like they just, you can't explain it. They just, um, so they're trying to figure that out. Same thing with like growing stuff. I think just, so not everybody needs to do it for a living, but I really think that when you get your hands in the dirt or you get to pet a dog or you get to like watch them learn something like train something, I think it's going to be very powerful. Yeah. Whether I can it's, tell you it's, there's also health benefits to the playing with dirt side of it. Um, it really helps with your skin biome and your microbiome by reconnecting with nature. Earthing is a big thing too with uh, walking around barefoot on grass. It gives you- a I, I, uh, It's funny you say that. You know, last, okay. I've been watching some like, I don't know, like lately I've, maybe I'm reconnecting again because I was actually out doing some lawn work this weekend and it felt good to get in dirt again. Um, but I, there's, there's this, uh, uh, some guy was talking about that after a long trip, he likes to take his shoes off, especially if you're going from one time zone to another and you just, you reconnect. It's just yeah. something about the magnetic fields. And yeah, exactly. There's studies that, that talk all about that. So let's jump over to Maxwell's soaps real quick. So yes. You're in Texas, kids, the dog thing, you reconnect yes. with Max, you're helping him build this company. So what is the what is Maxwell Soaps? Well, Maxwell Soaps, it's it's an I I think uh for me, okay, Maxwell Soaps is a premium handmade soap company. It's a oh, it's a veteran-owned, right? Right now it's family operated because I'm the one making the soap. <laughs> so you but are the soap the master family. right now yeah but we're all the, we're, but we're all family hence the beard like i, I grew the beard and and uh, literally i got the, one of uh, i had one of my guys ask me hey is that you on the shirt <laughs> and that's the idea because we can all be max but uh for me i think maxwell soaps is uh is is man i don't know how to explain it it's uh i talked about it earlier i think i said it it's, 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 it's a new way to participate, I think, for me, right? Like, I can't, I don't have my dogs up yet. I don't have the farm going yet. And, but it's a way to participate. And by doing, but by saying that is like, I like the idea that 
we make a great bar of soap and that we can help other people. Um, this is gonna be, you can cut this out if you need to, Tommy, but I actually looked at our numbers. The last, when I bought soap last time, I bought it enough to make X amount of bars uh, with about 10% off, right? You know, 10% I cut down. Nice. We have actually given away, I, I realized this when I counted how many bars I have left from that last shipment, because I'm ordering more supplies. I realized, man, we gave away more soap than we're selling and 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 that's okay like the bills are kind of getting paid but it, it's not we need to i need to get better at that <laughs> yeah definitely i think i definitely but that's what i mean though it's like it's about participating and that's why i think i was able to to get to jump on with mac because i know it's just a way to to take back some stuff i guess i don't know yeah. So I just want to touch base on that because I know you're wearing the shirt and I know the company is super important to you. Yeah. And the mission of what it is, is great. So, but let's get back to well, you real quick. Yeah. Okay. But this is what I was going to get at. Okay. I, 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 I want to try to show that that's what we can do. Like the empowerment, right? Max's idea is it uses soap to empower. So let's empower yeah. people. And that's what I want to do. That's why I'm, I'm involved in this. So. And I think it's, it's getting pretty close to being able to really have a talk with it. And hopefully oh, I'll yeah. get Max on here and we'll talk. And then hopefully we can do a three-way. That just sounds really weird. We'll do a, but bring both of you on and really talk about it when we're close. Okay. But, but that being said, so back to you. It's Yeah. We had this big call about the soap company late last year. Great yes. point. And it's something I, I want to touch on because one, you're a veteran, two, you're a Marine, but three, it's something we're living through right now. So March, what was it? March 13th, Friday the 13th, mm -hmm. March 13th, Governor yeah. Abbott, we both live in Texas, announces yeah. a stay-at-home order. And I know for yes. San Antonio, we went into effect the next, I think the next day, and then that Wednesday, the bar shut down. Mm. What's the effects been for you personally with this whole COVID thing and this whole shutdown and everything that's been going on with the, with the shutdown specifically? Oh, man. Um, you know, I've tried to make it, I, I, you try to make it as positive as you can. Right. So I've tried to just jot down the positive things. I've got to spend so much more time with my wife and kids because they're, they're, because normally they're at school and I'm here at home, right? Right. So they're, they're home. So I got to do that. Um, trying to learn new things. Um, I think I've reached out and connected with more people, not just personally, but also like business-wise, right? Is uh, trying to really kind of, trying to make this more like a real business. Um, but it has been difficult because... I do have more time with the kids than with the wife, right? And I do have more time to work on this business. And I do have more time to do these things, which is like, it's like, it's good and bad, right? Because it, it realizes like either, either how much more I have to do or how much more is necessary, which is the same thing. But you know what I'm saying? I, I totally understand it. So we... 
just talked about the lockdown, the COVID side. So let's go to the other side. Um, because I mean, this, this is all happening and I, I want your take on it. So since May, we've been in kind of a weird, I don't want to say race issue, but we've had some issues with protest and violence. Yeah. Um, Horrible, how are man. you feeling about all that? I'm surprised it's taken this long, to be honest. Like, um, I've been thinking, I've been worrying this. I mean, I kind of, I, for me, it's, it's about, uh, somebody said this before, and I'm trying to think of how to say this right. I want to do it justice. I don't think there's a real race issue per se. I think there's, as, as far as a person, like, right? Like, uh, I, don't, I don't think there is a huge amount of racist people. I think there are some, but I think what we have a problem is with empathy. Like, I think our biggest problem here is that we just don't listen to each other. Like, we have to be right. Like, right, there's always gotta be a right and a wrong when sometimes you just need to understand what the other guy's saying. So for me, it's more of an understanding issue. Like, I just wanna understand where people are coming from. I don't have to be right about it. Right, that makes total so, sense. So I think that's the thing. And and I think the problem really is, is uh, when you only have two sides arguing, they're just gonna get further and further apart. And I think you just need new ideas and people just need to kind of be able to go be open to more new ideas. This can't just be red or blue, left or right. And you got to, you have up, down, forward, backwards. So speaking you know? of, of left and right or red or blue, we're weeks away from the election. This will probably come mm -hmm. out the last week. I'll probably post this the last week of October. Okay. Um, that being said, I mean, from your perspective, put your staff sergeant 0311 eyes on this. Yeah. What's your take? Do you think we're going to have violence after the election? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think it's going to be, I, I think we're going to continue divisiveness. I think it's going to just still, I think we're going to be, no, no matter what outcome comes in November, I think you're going to have a portion of the, a portion of the, of the population that's going to be disgruntled and pissed off and the other side that's going to kind of leer and, cheer at them for losing right it doesn't matter which side wins this is what's going to happen right the winner the yeah, winner yeah. is going to make fun of the loser and the losers are going to make fun of they're going to be pissed off at the winners and both sides are going to going to say the other side cheated right but i don't think there's going to be like i don't think there's going to be violence in the street like people fighting against each other for that i think it will escalate and we'll probably have some more stuff going on later throughout the year but nothing like it, it, it uh, no different than now and the problem is it's it's, it's just we got to just get more choices man yeah i agree with you on that for sure and um i, I do think though one side will not uh uh start another <laughs> i don't think one side's going to start it though it, Gonna... Right now, I, 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 I've said that myself, and I've, I've said that that side's not going to do it because they're too lazy to do it. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. I, yeah. And, 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 and I know we're not 
saying what side, but it, it, both of us are probably thinking the same side we'll start. Yeah. So that being just, said, um, which is counterproductive to their whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So all of that being said, uh, what's your, what's your take on moving forward with the farming side of it, getting property or, or seeing that, is that something that you're seeing? Oh, yeah, in no, the absolutely. yeah, no, totally. Look, my, um, my, I think I'm really going to try to push this, a small farm over in, uh, in the, in the neighborhood I grew up in, like, um, my family had some property there that, uh, that's just kind of sitting right now, not doing anything. And I don't know why I didn't think of it at first, maybe because I didn't think of it as viable, right? It's, it's theirs. It's not mine. And then I just started talking to my father and I said, Hey, let's figure something out. So, um, I think we're going to push forward on that. And, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to, I want to share it with everybody. So, uh, one of the things I'd like to do is, is do some vlogging, I guess it's called kind of not well, necessarily, what? not necessarily what you're doing, but you have a phone with a good camera, start taking it with you and just recording five, 10 minute just, sessions. Yeah. Of like, I, I almost, I, I was almost thinking it would have been cool. If you have me on for another, as another get a guest, another time, um, Let's do this from that site because at that site is what I envision is, is a Maxwell soap production location. And then um, a couple of work days for other veteran entrepreneurs that need a place to start up or something, right? Like the kind of like an incubator. So do you um, think the entrepreneurship then, is like, I don't want to say the only way, but a better way. Oh, no, veterans? no, not at all. But I, I think, I think we need time. And, and, and our current, uh, the current transitional programs that they offer, uh, the, the transitional programs that the DOD offers to all services is kind of ineffective as far as giving them the time to realize where they want to do. Right. No, so, that makes sense. I mean, the TAPS yeah. class sucks. Let's just, let's just say it, call it what it is. It, whether yeah. it's uh, DTAPS, which is what I went through, or TAPS, TAPS yeah that you probably went through it, it's a horrible mm -hmm. thing and it's it's about resume writing not uh yeah really giving you an opportunity to try to find out who you are no they, well they use all the same they, they just use all the same thing fill in the blunt like they they do that one test but it really doesn't tell you anything because you're 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 still thinking marine yeah and you or, and, or navy or sailor or airman I, or I've often said that they, your last year, they should take that last six months and teach you how to go look for a job. And, yeah. and it, like, but I mean, obviously well, the force can't, the force can't. Right. Operate. No. And see, that's, that's where, uh, that's, that's, that was my whole I plan was with the, the dog training center and the urban farm uh, project thing is because dog training is, you can make a good living off of it. Like it's a good, decent, amount of money so yeah. we can actually but and, and the time requirement is is very small so a guy can work three classes it's three hours and then have two hours to learn how to be whatever else he wants to do yeah. go i and, mean it's, it seems like it'd be a good way to work your way through school yeah to say the least now i gotta ask this i tried to ask this of everyone so obviously this the channel is called the modern ronin which is based off the idea of the old Ronin's just with a modern take on it. Yeah. So 
how do you do you see yourself as a as a modern day Ronin, someone who's kind of left service without feeling like you completed it? And if so, what do you how do you what do you say? How do you see your future going? All right. You do I okay? You have to explain the, the whole Ronin thing. The, to the me Ronin, because I'm, I'm not. Was they're, a? They're, they're the samurai, right? That, that, that lost their yeah. That lost their master. Some of them became wanderers. Some of them became farmers. Some of them became mercenaries. Some of them became landowners. But they always had right. that warrior thing to them. Yeah. And so that's why I'm asking. Do, you, do I think? Do you, yeah. You, you know what? I think that I think that does feel that way. But I, what I what I also feel like is that that regardless of, of what master I have, I feel like I have a, a call to serve, right? Like, like nothing and that's that more of it. It's not about master, yeah. but service. Yeah, I think so. I think this is, is because like, no matter what, I've always found that whatever I want to do, it has to do with selflessness, right? It's, it's, it's in service of others. Like even our soap company, like really, like the only we sell a bar of soap so that we can give something away. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like, it's 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 not the other way around, right? We're not giving something away. Like the way I look at it is, uh, um, like even for this one, right? We want to make more money so that we can help people. Right. We don't want to help people to make money. Right. Like exactly. Uh, so yeah, no, I think it is. I, I think I do then if that's what a Ronin is, then yes, I do feel that I follow that. Like I always want to do more for others, right? Like I want to lift because I, again, even if you want to look at other things, right. Was that um, the right, the rising waters lift all boats. So like, or however that saying goes. No, I think that's right. So that being said, let's go ahead and uh, if you want Tell people how to find you, how to find the soap company, how to find your dog project, your whatever you have set up. Yeah, no, I mean, you can always find us at, on the, the Maxwell Soaps IG, which uh, it, it's either me, Mary or Max, and sometimes Tommy posting. So um, you can find me there. You can find me on my Facebook page. Uh, I, I still have my dog one out, which I'm just going to start getting back to, which is Canine West Kennels. Canine um, West Kennels. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, just, I'm always here. <laughs> Maxwell Soap's Facebook page as well. Um, and my own personal one, you guys can shout out to me there. And you, uh, you're in the Houston area, right? Yes. Houston, Texas. Well, uh, technically Sugarland, but at this point, everything around Houston is Houston. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like we're, we're becoming Austinian, Texas. Austin. <laughs> I can't, I can't think of a good way to put it, but that that has, gap. wait has has really has that gap closed that much between san antonio and austin so when you leave san antonio going north towards austin um you don't hit any true open area till you get past new Braunfels. then you wow. have like a 10 mile gap between the outlets and san marcos and then you hit san marcos up to there's a few little gaps between san marcos and buddha then one last small gap between buddha and then you're in austin yeah, I mean it's I gonna just, be I, it's gonna be L.A. to San Diego soon with the, the with oh, the little camp right. Thing. No, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I can see that happening. Yeah, uh, that's not happening between Dallas and Houston though. It's just too far. I think. <laughs> you say that now. 
I know, right? Yeah. I mean, Neho, watch, we'll be talking about getting, we'll be talking about that between like El Paso and Stockton someday. Yeah. Well, when I was, uh, where was I? Uh, I went to a sailing camp out in uh, Galveston. And it was a pleasure to see how empty it is between uh, Seguin and I don't know what the first city is, Katy oh, on 10. Like there's, there's nothing and it's nice. Yeah. And you also it don't is. have a lot of DPS trying to like speed trap. That's true. Right? <laughs> yeah. All right, You're buddy. Good at that here. All right. Hey, anytime. thanks a lot for doing this. No, and... Hey, anytime, man. Anytime. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you can follow us on social. Check us out at our website, modernronin.com, on Instagram, The Modern Ronin, on Twitter, at TommyChase01, and you can always support us at modernronin.locals.com. This is our locals group, and it would be great if you guys joined and subscribed. Some great benefits. Talk to you guys soon.